Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black Talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com The future of South Philadelphia's 150-year-old refinery complex has been in question since last June. After a massive fire there, Philadelphia Energy Solutions shut it down and filed for bankruptcy. Negotiations this week could finally determine what will happen. Some Philadelphians see the refinery's closure as an opportunity for a cleaner use of the 1,300-acre site. Hundreds who lost their jobs are fighting to keep it alive, and some people are not. WHYY's Catalina Jaramillo spoke with a former refinery manager turned filmmaker who says reopening the complex would not benefit Philadelphia. September 22nd was Bilal Motley's last day at the PES refinery, where he worked for 13 years. He's at the Point Breeze entrance. For years I would come to this gate, and this is where, you know, we would come in and uh, go to my unit. Motley was a foreman at the wastewater plant and says working at the refinery gave him a feeling of self-worth. He was making more money than his Ivy League friends. See that big tank in the middle of these two buildings? That's one of my tanks right there. Motley says his co-workers were his family. He spent more time here than at home. That's why last Monday was a hard day. It was the first public screening of Midnight Oil, a documentary he made about the last days of the refinery. His co-workers were not happy. They just found out about the screening tonight and things like that. They're like, oh, he's called me traitor and things like that. So it doesn't feel good. I'm like, you, you guys know me. I'm not a traitor. I can't tell my story. Motley's new workplace looks nothing like a refinery. He's a maintenance manager for a local university. He says although the job pays a third of what he was making at the refinery, it's a lot more safe. I won't blow up here. Most of Motley's former co-workers have either rallied to keep the refinery open or kept their thoughts private. Motley wants to speak up. It's painful to say this, but uh, I don't think it should be. I don't. The community doesn't want it. 
Like, we can't just do everything based on jobs, jobs, jobs. He says he knows firsthand how the refinery was polluting the Schuylkill River. I worked in a wastewater plant, and there's been many times we put oil to the river. Many times. Mudley says heavy rains overwhelm the wastewater plant. And when that occurs, untreated wastewater gets dumped into the river. It was happening more and more in the last few years. But he didn't do anything to stop it, although he knew it was wrong. He could see a sheet of oil on the river. The operators, we care because we have professional pride. But, I mean, in the big scheme of things, we know nothing's going to happen. We don't know these people in the community. We come into work and then we go home. Then we go ride our boats down the shore. We go to vacation. We don't, you know what I mean? Why be concerned with people you don't know? Ryan O'Callaghan is with the United Steelworkers, who represented about 600 refinery employees. He denies Motley's statements and says, as a manager, it was Motley's job to stop violations from happening. If he was there and he seen things that were, were harmful to the environment and he never spoke up, that's on him. Motley agrees. He says it was his conscience that pushed him to make the movie. He blames himself for not speaking up earlier. It's like he's always been avoiding conflict, like with his name. Instead of going by Bilal, he goes by BL, just two letters, B. L, just to make it easier for people to pronounce. That's the name on his refinery patch. I think ever since then, um, just compromising myself, like a, the feeling that I have to be perfect, the perfect black worker. You know what I mean? I didn't want to, want them to call me ignorant. I didn't want them to call me the N-word behind my back because I know it happens to other people. I just wanted to be perfect. Early in 2019, his wife told him they were expecting their second child. He says he was happy, but also kind of sad. He often found himself thinking, what kind of world would their kids live in? So I realized my own inaction, and I just, you know, I said, okay, this is enough. That's why I decided to act. I'm afraid, but I have to, I have to do something. I figure, what is my son and my daughter going to say 50 years from now when they say, you knew better and you did nothing? Alexa Ross is with Philly Thrive, which represents neighbors of the refinery. She says Motley went to one of their meetings and asked for forgiveness. It was the kind of moment of reconciliation that we never thought we would have, and we might not have any more than that, but it was powerful for him to just say, I know what it's done, and I'm sorry, and, and it's not right. Philadelphia Energy Solutions strongly objects to Motley's claims. On Wednesday, a bankruptcy court judge in Delaware could confirm the refinery's permanent closure. Catalina Jaramillo... WHYY News. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Uh, the segment that we just heard from Bilal Motley. Uh, he has a documentary film, Midnight Oil all on the system of white supremacy racism. Uh, they just did <clears throat> a screening of this documentary in the Philadelphia area. I'm sure there will be more uh, screenings, more viewings. Uh, if you are in the area and would like to check it out, I'm going to see if we can maybe get him as a guest on the program. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll see what happens. But again, Bilal Motley, uh, his film, Midnight Oil. This is our book club session number six. Harriet A. Washington, A Terrible Thing to Waste. Uh, I've said consistently, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed the book. Stunned.
She'll have two books in my top 10, it looks like, by the time that we're done. Getting uh, towards the finish line, we're picking up today the subsection Mapping Intelligence. Uh, It's in Chapter 5, Mapping Intelligence. Uh, But really thorough book. She, especially to, uh, this week, she's going to get into suggestions, things that we can do to try to stay as healthy as we can, preserve our brain computer, stay away from that alcohol. Great tips if you want to have children. Dr. Welsing, again, when you play around with sex, the joke is on the offspring. There is so much to do, so much to discuss if you are even thinking of producing children. <clears throat> Without further delay, we'll get started this again. Harriet A. Washington, a terrible thing to waste. Give out the date again for the context of white supremacy. This is Thursday, February 13th, 2020. Audio segment number one will begin. Mapping Intelligence Average IQ varies with geography both across and within nations, according to the controversial but widely utilized assessments in IQ and the Wealth of Nations. Despite the author's notoriously sloppy methodologies described in Chapter 1, the book purports to rank nations by their IQs, and it is constantly recruited to support hereditarian theories. But other scholars use the book's rankings as well. In 2010, Chris Epig, Corey Fincher and Randy Thornhill compared data from it and several other IQ rankings to health data from the World Health Organization in order to draw global correlations between a country's infectious disease burden and the average national IQ of its inhabitants. The scientists found that the greater the burden of infectious disease, the lower a nation's average IQ. But how robust is this correlation? And what of other variables that might drive intelligence? Nigel Barber, for example, writes that IQ varies in accordance with dramatic educational differences. Donald Templer and Hiroko Arikawa believe that because cold areas are difficult to live in, evolution favors higher IQ in cool climates. Such factors may contribute to IQ. But what is the most powerful driver of intelligence? Thornhill's team's tests corrected for all of the above factors as well as genetics, nutritional levels, national wealth, gross domestic product per capita, average temperature, and for several measures of education. In order to investigate the effects of education on U.S. IQ, for example, Thornhill repeated the analysis across the United States where standardized compulsory education exists. In the end, the team wrote, Infectious disease remains the most powerful predictor of average national IQ when temperature, distance from Africa, gross domestic product per capita, and several measures of education are controlled for. Geraint Ries, director of the UCL Institute of Cognitive Neuroscience, told The Guardian that their conclusion appears valid. It explains about 50 to 60 percent of the variability in IQ scores and appears to be independent of some other factors such as overall GDP. Epig's team concluded 
that infectious disease is a primary cause of the global variation in human intelligence. Their analysis didn't seem to specifically test or correct for environmental poisoning by chemicals or heavy metals like lead, however. So I question whether infectious disease is the most important factor in IQ determination. Nonetheless, their study shows it to be a potent factor. Further buttressing the importance of infection's effect on IQ, Epic points out that it is also a powerful predictor of average state IQ within the United States. High IQ states include Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont, while California, Louisiana, and Mississippi bring up the rear. The five states with the lowest average IQ share higher levels of infectious disease than the five states with the highest average IQ. And this relationship holds across all of the states in between. The next year, Christopher Hassel and Thomas Sherratt of Carleton University repeated the New Mexico study using a more sophisticated statistical analysis. They confirmed that infectious disease may be the only really important predictor of average national IQ. The parasite stress theory of intelligence also helps explain why, as mentioned in Chapter 1, nations like Kenya have seen large IQ gains accompany improvements in health status. Just as adding iodine to the diets of 1920s Americans raised the IQs of dullard areas by 15 points, the average Kenyan IQ rose 14 points between 1984 and 1998 in parts of the country that enjoyed improvements in health, including reduced disability from untreated infectious disease. Parasite stress explains this, but genetics does not. The IQ gains were too high and too rapid to be explained by evolutionary and genetic mechanisms. This infection connection also helps to explain similar patterns of IQ elevation, like the Flynn effect, in developed nations like the United States. Refer to Chapter 1. These wealthy nations are largely free of the rampant infectious disease found in the developing world, except where pockets of neglected tropical diseases, NTDs, and other infections plague poorer communities of color. In the United States, areas that are plagued by such infection are also areas where people of color live and areas of depressed IQ ratings. Like the Kenyan increase, the Flynn effect in the West can't be explained genetically. Neglected tropical diseases most frequently undermine health and cognitive vigor in areas of the United States where conditions resemble those in the developing world. African-American children in Baltimore share a life expectancy with those born in Nepal. As the New England Journal of Medicine reported in 1990, black men in Harlem are less likely to live to the age of 65 than men in Bangladesh, one of the world's poorest nations. The report added that similar pockets of high mortality have been described in other U.S. cities. Such disparities persist. National averages denoting a welcome decline in mortality rates distract us from the fact that they don't decline for everyone. Vast differences exist between neighborhoods, and hence between races within the same area, and even within the same city.
In 2007, when I lived on 106th Street in a predominantly Hispanic area of East Harlem, it had one of the lowest life expectancies in New York City. But ten blocks away, on 96th Street on the Upper East Side, the life expectancy was, and continues to be, the highest in the city. Ten years later, this discrepancy persisted. Fully 650,000 New Yorkers live in communities where the death rate for African Americans under 65 is twice the rate for white Americans. Their health mirrors the health of people in the developing world, where infections unknown to wealthy Westerners run rampant. Hotez illustrates one reason why. The environments are similar. Why? I can take you to areas such as the historical African-American wards of Houston, such as the Fifth Ward, or other areas, and show you conditions of extreme poverty that closely resemble Recife in Brazil. Dilapidated housing, no window screens, discarded tires filled with water and organic debris. It looks like the global health movie we might show to first-year medical students, but it's Houston. As with lead, air pollution, and other toxic exposures, the distribution of infectious disease in America is inextricably linked to the tangled factors of poverty and race. Such intelligence-eroding pathogens do preferentially affect the poor. But within the ranks of the poor, it is racial minority groups who sicken most often and fare the worst. Texas, home to the nation's three poorest metropolitan areas, and ground zero for diseases like Zika and Chagas, has 4.5 million people living below the poverty line, the largest number of any U.S. state. The poverty rates are highest among Hispanics, 26%, and African Americans, 23%. Poor Americans are at risk for NTDs, but poor Americans of color are at the highest risk. Emerging Infections on the Brain Infectious diseases haunt racial minority populations. HIV-AIDS, which damages the brains of fetuses and adults alike, is probably the best-known infection that disproportionately affects black and Hispanic communities. We've long known that HIV is a disease of poor people of color here, just as it is in Africa. 71% of Americans with HIV disease are black or Latino and 53% of the people who died from HIV-AIDS in 2013 were African-American. HIV dementia is a well-known example of the damage the virus wreaks when HIV crosses the blood-brain barrier to contribute to various types of neuronal injury. Less well-known are other direct psychological and cognitive costs of HIV infection, which often attacks the brain. The extent of the cognitive damage it causes in children is even more profound. HIV crosses the blood-brain barrier to injure neurons, so HIV-positive children risk a spectrum of brain dysfunction, from encephalopathy to developmental delays. Nearly 9 of every 10 U.S. children living with HIV are African American or Hispanic. Infected children in the United States suffer from lower-than-average memory, speed of processing, and verbal comprehension. Infants who acquire HIV prenatally from their mothers risk developmental brain dysfunction, 
from encephalopathy to subtle cognitive impairment, language disorders, and developmental delays. A 2010 longitudinal study of more than 300 such HIV-positive children by University of Southern California psychiatrists found that they fell into the low-average scale for memory, speed of processing, and verbal comprehension. According to the researchers, neurodevelopmental problems in children and adolescents with HIV might be linked to changes it provokes in pro-inflammatory monocytes of the immune system. HIV is just one of the many brain-damaging neglected infections linked to poverty. Twelve million Americans suffer from at least one NTD, and many of those twelve million are impoverished African Americans, Hotez told a House and Energy Commerce Committee in 2016. Between 2003 and 2005, the poorest areas of Houston were the hardest hit by a mysterious outbreak. Doctors at the Texas Children's Hospital and the National School of Tropical Medicine discovered that the culprit was the mosquito-borne dengue fever, a virus that had been all but eradicated from the United States by spraying with DDT, a probable human carcinogen, in the 1950s. At the time of the outbreak, dengue fever was regarded as a foreign NTD. However, the United States banned DDT in 1972, paving the way for dengue fever's eventual resurgence here. When it reappeared, not one Houston patient was accurately diagnosed with dengue, including the two people who died. Poor whites, too, have often been referred to as an ethnic group. Appalachians, for example, as discussed in Chapter 1, when it comes to discussion of their inferior intelligence. And they, too, sometimes suffer disproportionate infection. They also suffer disproportionately from mind-crippling intestinal worms, such as the threadworms, including Strongyloides stercoralis and Ascaris lumbricoides, that cause impaired childhood development around the globe, just as African Americans in some regions suffer from worm infestation. African Americans suffer far higher death rates than whites and die an average of four years younger than white Americans do. But poor marginalized whites are slowly losing their lead. In a Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences report, David Squires and David Blumenthal write that mortality rates in the United States for white Americans aged 22 to 56 rose between 1999 and 2014. For 30 years before that, death rates had fallen by 2% a year. What's more, Squires and Blumenthal cite suicides, drug overdoses, and alcohol-related liver disease as the drivers of this excess mortality, calling them despair deaths. Books that address these rising death rates, still much lower than that of African Americans, are beginning to appear. But I've found almost no contemporary literature that explores relationships between their supposedly lower intelligence and environmental exposure, as I have found for people of color. I suspect there is a link, but the data vacuum in this area prevents me from discussing it as I had hoped. The prevalence of pathogens and infectious diseases found among pockets of racial minorities contributes to these disease vectors and visibility in the United States. So does a comforting public health narrative 
claiming that the United States is protected by disease surveillance and environmental measures. We have confidence in the ability of the wealthy United States, with its rich matrix of health care and clean, climate-controlled environments, to ward off NTDs in a manner that the tropical world cannot. Periodic trash removal, environmental regulations, and prevalent air conditioning are common here and discourage the breeding conditions for mosquitoes and other disease vectors. However, such measures are often insufficient or absent in neighborhoods of color. Laws that maintain safe environments are inadequate, unenforced, or simply don't exist. This is especially apparent in the nation's poorest major metropolitan area, McAllen-Edinburgh Mission, Texas which is situated near America's eight poorest smaller cities, all of which are marred by poor sanitation, environmental contaminants, and overcrowded substandard housing. These are home to ethnic enclaves of African Americans and other minority group members. They are also located in the warmest part of the nation, which adds to the risk of infection for the poor people of color who live there. We see the same institutional failures around the country, including in African-American enclaves of Houston, where Robert Bullard, the author of Dumping in Dixie, has documented how sanitary services and even basic utilities are often missing from African-American communities, and not just the poor ones. Even middle-class African-American neighborhoods sometimes lack basic utilities and adequate sanitary services. We're not just talking about rural backwaters, but also of thronged urban sites, which is significant because many infectious illnesses thrive and gain virulence in the sort of overcrowded conditions so commonly found in cities. This environmental neglect of poor communities of color has laid out the welcome mat for infectious diseases. Dilapidated housing infested with triatomine bugs that carry Chagas disease rodents carrying hantaviruses, cockroaches that have been shown to worsen asthma, desultory garbage collection and disposal, water and microbes that collect in run-down air conditioners, to say nothing of old tires that provide breeding grounds for mosquitoes, foment infectious disease in the United States, just as they do in Haiti, South African townships, and Brazil. In this sense, the oft-invoked distinction between diseases that threaten the developing world and those of the developed world has eroded. Chagas disease is born by an unwelcome immigrant. The triatomine, or kissing bug, which lives in the cracks of substandard housing and passes on the parasite to people by defecating while sucking their blood. When the victim scratches the affected area, he transfers the pathogen-laden fecal matter into the tiny bite wound, triggering a chronic, silent parasitic infection that can lead to fatal heart or intestinal damage in two of every five sufferers. It also causes intellectual retardation in as many as one in ten sufferers. Chagas mainly affects Hispanic communities. Cystocercosis The cystocercosis causes epileptic seizures and other brain damage in a process as gruesome as any horror film. Beginning in 2008, lurid national headlines screamed, 
the worms that invade your brain. Worm removed from woman's brain and hidden epidemic, tapeworms living inside people's brains. MRIs of patients who presented to emergency rooms with sudden epilepsy or fainting began to reveal that their brains were irregularly studded with tapeworms. That's right, tapeworms. Although we think of them, when we must, as infesting the human digestive system, where well-nourished specimens can grow up to 20 feet or more, these tapeworms result from a parasitic infection known as teniasis. Each tapeworm produces a wealth of 50,000 eggs, which are shed in the feces of infected people. Once on the ground and eaten by pigs, they grow into larvae that normally burrow into porcine blood vessels where they wait to be consumed by humans eating undercooked pork, and their life cycle begins again. But sometimes the eggs from the body of an infected person take a fatal detour when accidentally ingested by another human instead of a pig. When the infected person prepares food without washing his hands, for example, an egg develops into a larva that burrows into the human bloodstream and hitches a ride to the brain. Tunneling into the brain, these larvae become insisted, cloaking themselves from the immune system with specialized tissues. Thus ensconced and unmolested by the immune system, they unleash the horribly versatile disease called cystocercosis. Cysts near the brain's visual cortex can blind the carrier. Cysts near the language area can disrupt speech or its comprehension. Cysts sometimes block the flow of cerebral fluid, causing hydrocephalus, which necessitates a shunt to relieve the pressure and prevent unconsciousness. Blindness, epilepsy, and lowered mental function, which means lowered IQ, are common, and so is death. Treatment may not save the intellect, because although the drug prosequantil kills the larvae, it also unleashes a vigorous immune response, friendly fire, that ends up harming the brain. Cases are more common than one might think. In 2012, Ted Nash, chief of the gastrointestinal parasite section at the National Institutes of Health, told Discover Magazine, minimally, there are 5 million cases of epilepsy worldwide from neurocystosarcosis. Between 1,500 and 2,000 neurocystosarcosis cases are diagnosed in the United States every year when confused, unconscious, or epileptic patients are brought to the hospital and the detection of antibodies definitively identifies the disease. Most cases are found in Hispanic Americans, who are more likely to ingest pork-borne tapeworm eggs. A 2012 Public Library of Science PLOS report reads, It is now well established that cystocercosis is a leading cause of epilepsy among Hispanics living in Texas, with Texas and California most likely representing the greatest share of the 169,000 cases of cystocercosis in the U.S. As with many such worm-borne pathogens, deworming arrests the cognitive decline, but it does not restore lost intellectual functioning. Today, one of every ten people brought to Los Angeles hospitals with an epileptic seizure suffers from neurocystocercosis, 
this is only one dramatic manifestation of an epidemiological sea change. Tropical diseases, and their neglect, are not limited to the tropics anymore. Toxicariasis Toxicariasis is caused by Toxicara canis, a parasitic roundworm that infects dogs. The people can acquire it from soil and sandboxes contaminated with dog feces. The larval worms navigate through the lungs and brains of children to cause pulmonary dysfunction and wheezing, akin to symptoms caused by asthma. But they also cause cognitive and intellectual deficits. Toxicariasis slipped over the border to infest poor, run-down urban areas and crumbling rural homes in the American South. Toxicara canis is now carried by 21%, more than one in five, of African Americans, for a total of 2.8 million people. The fact that it may affect the mental health of so many black children has prompted me to speculate that toxicariasis might be responsible for educational achievement gaps during preschool and the school-aged years, Hotez said in 2013. That year, his speculation was validated by the heavily detailed annual U.S. National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, NHANES, which used the Wexler Intelligence Scale and the Wide Range Achievement Test to compare the mental acumen of children aged 6 to 16 who were infected with Toxicara canis with that of uninfected children. It found that children without the infection scored considerably higher on both intelligence test scales, even after correcting for a laundry list of potentially confounding factors, like socioeconomic status, ethnicity, gender, rural residence, cytomegalovirus infection, and blood levels of lead, all of which have been implicated in affecting intelligence test scores. African Americans and Hispanics also have the nation's highest rates of death from Toxoplasma gondii infection, which causes the disease Toxoplasmosis and a slew of other medical problems. This parasite of cats can result in fetal death and abortion, as well as psychiatric syndromes that include neurocognitive deficits and even schizophrenia, according to Robert Yolkin, Director of Developmental Neurovirology at Johns Hopkins University. Trichomoniasis An estimated 3.7 million people in the United States suffer from trichomoniasis vaginalis, a parasitic infection that causes the nation's most common curable STD. Trich is a largely silent infection. Fewer than one in three infected people notice symptoms, but it can cause fetal death and damage, including neuronal damage that cripples intelligence and its rate is 10 times higher among black women than others. 29% of African-American women carry T. vaginalis, not too far from the 38% of infected women in Nigeria. This means that black women are 10 times as likely as white or Hispanic women to harbor the parasite, which increases the heterosexual spread of HIV. Highly sensitive diagnostic tests can now detect T. vaginalis, and it can be easily cured with a single dose of metronidazole. Unfortunately, neither the test nor the treatment is routinely administered. Fortunately, 
Most people infected with cytomegalovirus, CMV, never know it, because it rarely causes serious symptoms or problems in healthy people with functional immune systems. But a pregnant woman who develops an active CMV infection can pass the virus to her baby. And one in five infected babies suffer impaired nervous system development, leading to hearing and vision loss that may become severe and permanent, as well as mental disabilities. If the infection is diagnosed at birth, medications called antivirals can be given, which can alleviate the visual and hearing loss. CMV infects more African-American women than mothers of any other race. Infected adults often have no symptoms, except for those with compromised immune systems who can experience symptoms and even die. A myriad of other infections like malaria, cerebral tuberculosis, which targets the brain, hookworm, trachoma, and leishmaniasis preferentially impair the brains of ethnic minority groups in the United States. Climate of Fear But why have NTDs gained a foothold in the United States? Xenophobes may accuse immigrants of bringing these transplanted nightmares north with them, but this is inaccurate. Many NTDs are infectious, but not contagious. This means that they are transmitted to others by pathogens, but not by infected people. Instead, blame the U.S. climate, because many microbes function within a narrow temperature range, and parasite life cycles often require heat. The U.S. is somewhat unusual in being a wealthy nation, much of whose population lives in very warm, humid regions, Stan Cox, a senior scientist at the Land Institute, told the Washington Post in July 2015. U.S. temperatures are warmer than those in Europe and most of the affluent West. Accordingly, scientists predict that global warming will hasten the spread of pathogens and disease. As the climate grows even warmer, microbes and disease vectors such as the snails that carry schistosomiasis, the sandflies that carry leishmaniasis, and triatomine bugs will expand their territory. And so will the Aedes aegypti mosquitoes that disseminate Zika, dengue fever, chikungunya, and yellow fever. These are already common on the Gulf Coast, as is the domestic Zika vector Aedes albopictus, which is found in the eastern United States. Meteorological events also escalate the risks of infectious diseases that threaten intelligence. In 2005, the kissing bugs that carry Chagas disease and the snail populations that cause schistosomiasis proliferated in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, and we can expect similar spikes after each hurricane season. But humans cause problems after weather emergencies, too. Three Caribbean U.S. hurricanes, two severe Mexican earthquakes, and waves of flooding across Bangladesh, Nepal, and India made the autumn of 2017 meteorologically memorable. Rebuilding will take years, and unfortunately, post-disaster construction has a way of disproportionately worsening environmental conditions for the marginalized people in affected areas, as debris is dumped in their neighborhoods. Rebuilding often uses toxic materials as well. In post-Katrina New Orleans, for example, 
environmental and air pollution standards were relaxed to accelerate reconstruction. What's more, as part of post-Katrina recovery efforts, private companies were allowed to acquire public housing. The homes of poor evacuees were condemned as nuisances, marked for demolition, and resold at extremely cheap prices. Such actions, along with the billions allocated to the Army Corps of Engineers for rehabilitation of levees, entrenched, rather than eased, the vulnerability of poor communities of color, both by introducing additional environmental exposures in the short term and by displacing former residents from the safer, rehabilitated housing in the long term. What happened in New Orleans is reminiscent of San Francisco's attempt to move Chinatown from the city center to a more peripheral area of the city's outskirts, ostensibly as part of its rebuilding efforts, after the 1906 earthquake. A 2017 Nature article by Benjamin K. Sovacool points out that Hurricane Harvey hit hardest in poor areas and minority communities located near the Arkema Chemical Plant in Crosby, Texas, which exploded after the storm. Even in the absence of floods and hurricanes, U.S. Geological Survey scientists warn that the armies of pathogens on the ground enjoy ample air support as hazardous bacteria and fungi hitchhike across the Atlantic on 15,000-foot-high winds, eventually scattering the pathogens of the developing world over American yards and playgrounds. New Domestic Threats Not all emerging diseases in the United States hail from Africa or the Global South. Some are homegrown. In October 2014, a Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences report describes how Johns Hopkins professor of medicine, Robert Yolkin, was surprised to find a waterborne virus called Acanthocystis terfacia chlorella virus, mercifully nicknamed ATCV1, lurking in the throats of two of every five of his Baltimore research subjects. The cognitive tests conducted as part of his study delivered an even greater shock. When the performance of the infected was compared to that of those who did not harbor the virus, researchers found that the infected made calculations 10% more slowly and displayed shorter attention spans, suggesting that the virus may retard the ability to calculate and to process visual information. This reduced mental functioning occurred independent of potentially confounding factors like age, socioeconomic status, education, place of birth, and smoking status. Gender and race made no difference. No demographic data allow us to stratify this threat by race, but Baltimore is 65% African American. Yolkin's findings persisted when this small study was repeated in a larger population. This correlation strongly suggests an intellect-lowering role for ATCV1 in humans, but a potentially definitive study was not conducted. The scientists did not expose healthy people to the virus in order to compare their performance pre- and post-infection for obvious ethical reasons. However, the team did test a group of mice before and after exposing them to ATCV1 and found 1,000 gene changes in brain regions that are integral to memory and learning. 
The infected mice also wore dunce caps, taking 10% longer to navigate a maze than uninfected controls. And they spent 20% less time investigating novel environments, which suggests a reduced attention span. Critics suggested that the researchers had found not an IQ-lowering microbe, but rather sample contamination. But Yolkin refuted the suggestion in an article in the February 2015 Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Red Tide Other pathogens endemic to North America are known to diminish mental function. When I worked in a poison control center during the 1980s, we kept track of warnings of red tide algae that periodically bloom during warm weather. We used the information to warn worried callers and emergency room physicians of this occasional threat and also urged newspapers to advise their readers. Shellfish toxins sicken 60,000 every year and kill 900. But only after I looked up a new disorder associated with the algae amnesic shellfish poisoning, did I understand how cruel and unusual red tide poisoning could be. In 1987, 107 Canadians fell victim to amnesic shellfish poisoning after consuming tainted mussels from the waters off Prince Edward Island, PEI. Eating seafood tainted by Pseudonychia algae triggers much more than the usual mayhem of nausea, intestinal pain, projectile vomiting, and explosive diarrhea. For the PEI diners, these unpleasant effects were eclipsed by horrifying cognitive symptoms, thanks to demoic acid, a potent neurotoxin contained in pseudonychia algae. The infected become confused, aggressive, disoriented, and prone to endless crying jags they also permanently lost the ability to form any new memories. This toxin is a neural imposter that resembles the essential amino acid glutamate so closely that our brains cannot discern the difference. When taken up through the blood-brain barrier, it kills neurons in the hippocampus, the seat of memory, and in the amygdala, which mediates fear and anxiety, generating prolonged crying that is sometimes followed by coma and death. Four of the PEI victims died, and in the spring of 1991, demoic acid was also measured in razor clams collected on Washington State beaches. Pseudonychia has been identified in seven algal species and has spread to contaminate shellfish in Japan, Denmark, Spain, Scotland, Korea, and New Zealand. Other toxic algae, like Fisteria piscicida, also induce mental deficiencies, such as memory loss. Pseudonychia red tides have recurred with increasing frequency, and scientists predict that climate change will trigger even more frequent occurrences. No data suggests that people of color are more likely than others to come into contact with these brain-eroding algae. Instead, these appear to be a small and localized but growing source of potential intellectual deterioration for everyone, and another argument for the EPA to acknowledge and counter climate change. Mad cow and more. And then there are prions, infectious proteins first identified by Stanley Prusner 
who won the Nobel Prize in 1997 for his discovery. These cause bovine spongiform encephalopathy, BSE, better known as mad cow disease, and its analogous human diseases. The latter include Kuru, discovered decades ago among the New Guinea Highlanders, and Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease, CJD, a rapidly progressive, fatal disorder marked by profound mental deterioration. Its symptoms include impaired memory, loss of mental acuity, dementia, and impaired muscle control. CJD killed legendary choreographer George Balanchine. After being initially misdiagnosed as Alzheimer's disease, when he could no longer remember dance moves and musical scores, or maintain his balance long enough to demonstrate new choreography. According to the NIH, CJD strikes only 300 U.S. residents each year. But Laura Manuelides, chief of neuropathology at Yale Medical School, has theorized that many cases of supposed Alzheimer's, which can be definitively diagnosed only upon autopsy, are misdiagnosed CJD, just as Balanchine's was. Because African Americans are diagnosed with Alzheimer's twice as often as whites, scientific scrutiny into this possibility could be a great boon to the community, because at least some cases of CJD, unlike Alzheimer's, can be prevented by removing suspect meats and proteins from the diet. Pseudonychia the ATCV1 chlorovirus, and prion disease are obscure hazards. But another domestic malady, Lyme disease, is familiar. And so are the cognitive deficits some infected people suffer. A lesser-known tick-borne disease, Powassan virus, POW, causes fever, vomiting, seizures, and memory loss. And about half of its survivors are left with permanent neurological symptoms. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 10% of all cases are fatal. Symptoms usually show up about a week to a month after the tick bite. No vaccines or medications are available to treat or prevent the virus infection. So the best way to protect yourself is to avoid contact with wooded areas that may harbor ticks and to apply DEET repellents. A 2018 Consumer Reports survey found that only one in three Americans thinks that DEET is safe. But since 1960, 90% of reported problems were mild, and only one in every million users had experienced a seizure or serious medical problem. Most of the latter occurred when people misused the product, failing to follow the package directions. The EPA does not classify it as a carcinogen nor have CDC studies of adults and children found health hazards. Still, experts advise not using DEET around children younger than two months of age, and pregnant women should avoid it out of an abundance of caution, although no study has demonstrated any effects of small exposures on unborn children. We must remember that exposures to microbes doesn't happen in a vacuum. The communities that are most susceptible to infection are those that also suffer onslaught by poisonous heavy metals, toxic chemicals, and other agents whose devastating effects on fetal and adult brains have been demonstrated. The effects are additive and perhaps even synergistic, 
rendering existing calculations about the relative contribution of microbial infection to intelligence simplistic. The collective freight of these exposures conspires to drag down the intelligence of ethnic minorities. Mind-boosting microbes? One potential answer to the destruction wrought by infection is still speculative, to be confirmed by future researchers, if it is ever confirmed at all. Although it remains under investigation, it is too intriguing to ignore. We know that some microbes erode intelligence, so perhaps there are microbes that enhance it. A pair of immunologists think that they have found one. In the 1990s, John Stanford and Graham Rook patrolled the shores of Lake Kioga in Uganda, seeking the answer to a puzzle. Local residents had responded much better than others to the BCG tuberculosis vaccine, and they wanted to know why. They found the answer in the soil of the lake bed, Mycobacterium vaxi, a bacterium with immune-modulating qualities that make the vaccine more potent. M. vaxi has proved versatile. Injecting it into mice raised their serotonin levels and decreased their anxiety. The investigators wondered whether it might affect learning, so they fed the bacteria to mice and then tested how well they navigated a maze. The bacteria-fed mice raced through the maze twice as quickly as the controls. Another scientist tested M. vaxi in humans in an attempt to prolong the lives of lung cancer patients. It did not prolong their lives, but it tamed their anxiety and raised their spirits. Recently, Environmental Health and Technology published a study of 1,200 people showing that M. vaxi might significantly enhance learning ability. Vimpocetine is another brain-boosting candidate, a synthetic compound that is derived from vincamine an alkaloid found in the Vinca Minor L plant. It has been used clinically in many countries for more than 30 years to treat cerebrovascular disorders, such as stroke and dementia, by clinicians who think it improves brain function. Dr. Akindele Ulobunmi Ogunrin, a neurology researcher at the University of Benin Teaching Hospital in Benin City, Nigeria, studied the efficacy of vinpocetine trademark name, Cognitol, in improving memory and concentration in cognitively impaired patients. He found that vinpocetine was in fact effective in improving memory and concentration in patients with epilepsy and dementia, although its efficacy was minimal in demented patients. According to WebMD, vinpocetine might have a small effect on the decline of thinking skills due to various causes and no significant harmful effects were reported in a study of people with Alzheimer's disease who were treated with large doses of vinpocetine, 60 mg per day, for one year. Vinpocetine is sold by prescription in Germany under the brand name Caventon, and it is already on sale as a dietary supplement in the United States under various names. But I'd advise you to save your money. Although website advertisements claim that more than a hundred safety and effectiveness studies have been funded by the Hungarian manufacturer Gideon Richter, few double-blind controlled clinical studies have been published. And of these, most were published prior to 1990, and results are hard to interpret 
because they used a variety of terms and criteria for cognitive decline and dementia. So for now, the prospect of using a microbe to enhance IQ instead of diminish it remains an intriguing but unanswered question. What, then, can be done to prevent the damage inflicted by microbes or to mitigate the effects of poisonous air, water, metals, food, and chemicals? In the next chapter, I suggest solutions for you, your family, and your community that offer hope for maximizing the intellect of our nation. Part 3 Mission Possible How to Bolster the Nation's IQ Chapter 6 Taking the Cure What can you do now? Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Arthur Ashe Ever since I caught the lead, I've been messed up in the head. I can't control my anger or feelings, David confided to a reporter. I could have been better than I am. David, who was now 21, was severely poisoned as a child in his Milwaukee home. He suffered chronic poisoning over several years, although as little as a single chip of lead paint might have landed him in the hospital where doctors were able to save his life, but not all his intellect. The outlook is bleak for some lead-poisoned children, but there is hope for many. I was pleasantly surprised to learn from lawyers like Evan K. Fallenberg and Thomas Yost of Baltimore that the cognitive skills and school performance of some poisoned children they represented have improved dramatically. Some have even gone on to attend college after winning settlements that provided them funds enough to afford counseling and educational support. However, most people profoundly affected by environmental poisoning do not have such resources. This makes preventing poisoning extremely important. Children and adults need protection from lead, mercury, arsenic, industrial chemicals, pesticides, air pollution, and even from environmentally related diseases that can impair the brain. The only known national solution is to eradicate harmful, under-regulated poisons from residential housing, schools, water, food, and fence-line communities. And many scientists and activists have been working for decades to achieve just this. A rollback of large-scale U.S. poisoning requires more than their knowledge and dedication, however. It also requires political solutions. A healthy environment, breathable air, potable water, food and game that are not imbued with heavy metals, homes that are not permeated with intellect-robbing industrial poisons, soil without deadly pesticides, is not something individuals and communities can create without the force of law and government support. To be sure, protecting the brains of exposed Americans means banishing, not reducing, the sea of dangerous pollution in which they have been forced to live, study, and work. Ending pollution means forcing powerful industries to act against their financial interests, and this cannot be accomplished by individuals. It is the responsibility of our government, including the EPA and the public health professionals that advise them, to eradicate untested, 
under-regulated poisons from residential housing, schools, and fence-line industries. The requisite legislation and regulation can be enacted only by a strong, active EPA that is dedicated to protecting Americans, not industry. We need to update regulations to account for the latest scientific findings about, for example, the special vulnerability of young brains to minute exposures. And we need to enforce them. Only this will create a safe environment for all, not only for the wealthy and powerful. This critical work cannot wait for more research that demonstrates the harms that pollution is wreaking in communities of color. More than enough evidence has been amassed for us to act. Our nation must embrace the precautionary principle so that protection of the citizenry takes precedence over amassing enough research to satisfy the polluters and their scientists. If future research exonerates a restricted or banned chemical, it always can be restored to use. But it is much harder, if not impossible, to restore the millions of IQ points lost to the effects of chemicals presumed to be safe. Poisoned communities can be restored to health, too. Despite a long history of industrial malfeasance and governmental apathy, and worse, there is hope. Solutions exist for the problem of environmental poisoning, and some communities of color have found them by uniting. We would do well to realize that this is a marathon, not a sprint. The greatest chance of success depends upon enlisting the support of researchers who have shown themselves committed to the intellectual health of communities of color and on forging partnerships with other environmental groups. Although mainstream environmental groups have long focused on preserving nature, conservation, and recreational issues, their acknowledgement that the planet needs protectors, not exploiters, means that they and poisoned communities of color have much in common. Working together, they have already achieved some successes. Yet, while we await environmental sanity, there are steps that individuals can take to fight for a less toxic environment and higher intelligence. And I discuss many of these here. Context of White Supremacy That's what we'll pick up at. We're in Chapter 6. Chapter 6, the subheading for uh, audio segment number 2 is Enroll Your Child in Pre-K. Anywho, uh, if you have questions, thoughts about the first portion of the reading, the number to dial is 605 three one three five one six four the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate number again six zero five three one three five one Six four, the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Excellent read. I will let folks know uh, the archives for the book club. Uh, a terrible thing to waste. 
Uh, it's archived at Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, should be archived uh, at Google Play. Uh, not Google Play, sorry. So, uh, Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, I have to double check to see if iTunes is functioning again, but it has been uploaded. I think it at minimum is in the uh, iTunes feed, uh, Blueberry. Uh, it's at quite a few sites uh, as well that you should be able to listen. I haven't been putting it on SoundCloud deliberately just because I want to make sure that I am not uh, tempting them with a potential copyright violation since uh, this book is so new. I did the same thing with the hate you give since uh, we read that, I believe the same year that that book was published. So just don't want to take any chances, have the archives further disrupted. But even though it's not a SoundCloud, uh, it is black talk radio network. It's in the normal archives should be at iTunes. Although I have to double check to see if it's working correctly again. Uh, but it at least is in the feed and I have been posting uh, all of the archives for each episode. I've been posting them on social media. So if you get confused about where to access, if you can't find it, bam, right there, feel free to drop an email as well until justice at gmail.com. We are getting close to the end of the book. I don't want any suggestions while we're discussing the great literature. But if you have a thought, you can drop an email with uh, potential suggestions for a new book. Uh, if we have any folks who want to read, uh, there is another book on so-called environmental racism, uh, specifically on Chicago, packing them in. Uh, if we have any volunteers, folks who would like to read that one, let me know. I can probably get that book to you so that you can uh, narrate away uh, and share with us because I think that's a pretty good one, too, and written by a black female. Anywho, uh, we'll get to folks who dialed in. Uh, if you have thoughts, questions on the first portion of the reading, folks who dialed in with a hand up uh, line should be open. Let's see why folks are getting their thoughts together. Oh, wait a minute. I'll give them another second here. See if they got their notes together. Happy heart. Greetings, Henry in Chicago. Uh, greetings, Gus. Greetings to all the callers and our listeners. Uh, yes, if you uh, if you want to forward me that book, uh, I will I would volunteer to do the narration. Uh, you know, if you if you decide to do that, but you know, just let me know. Um. In regards to the reading, um, on page 218, black men in Harlem are less likely to live to the age of 65 to those in Bangladesh. And then there was another uh, uh, related uh, statement in the book where health mirrors, uh, the health mirrors, the uh, health of people in uh, the health of black people mirroring the health of people in developing worlds uh, on the next page. You know, that's, you know, it's interesting how, you know, we consider ourselves the, uh, well, not we, but this country considers itself the greatest nation, you know, in the world. Uh, and yet uh, non-white black people live in these, you know, areas where uh, we're no better than third world countries. And a lot of it is due to environmental, you know, environmental racism, but most likely to um, uh, inadequate or 
uh, or uh, old, not updated hospitals as well. Uh, you don't find too many, you know, great hospitals in black communities. You might find a couple, but there's not a lot in the black community that you can go to. Now, when you, you know, go to, you know, white neighborhoods, you know, hospitals are, you know, enormous, immaculate. They probably got all kind of, you know, doctors, uh, surgeons in it. But uh, you go to black hospitals, it's, you know, somebody gets shot, next thing you know, they're dead. So uh, that's uh, one of the things that I see uh, personally. Uh, Texas, uh, you know, what's interesting, because, you know, I've been reading these statements about Texas having 4.5 million people living below the poverty line and, and, and these dilapidated areas in Texas. And what's so interesting is I remember there, there was a person who was trying to convince me to move to Texas, uh, somebody who calls themselves conservative or Republican because, you know, Texas is run by a, you know, quote unquote, Republican governor and Republican government that it's better than, you know, living in Illinois. But I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, well, man, it seems like Texas isn't no better. <laughs> I might as well stay on the plantation. I'm all right now. So uh, I thought that was real interesting. Um, on 227, they were talking about the uh, treatment or test is routinely, uh, treatment or test not routinely administered uh, for black women. Uh, and it was in, it was pertaining to, um, these, uh, or these, uh, medical terms that I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a problem, uh, pronouncing try, uh, trichomonosis, I guess. But, um, but what's interesting is that, you know, black women don't even get tested regularly for, for breast cancer. I mean, uh, you know, either, either they, um, uh, Either they are not encouraged or they are encouraged, but, you know, uh, for some reason, insurances are, are not, you know, administer them on a regular basis. And, then you know, we still see a, a great, you know, great rise of breast cancer, you know, with, within black women now. So even though they're encouraging, you know, mammograms and all these, you know, other tests that supposedly supposed to catch breast cancer. And lastly, um, you know, with uh, with pork, uh, pork has been mentioned in this, fish and meat. I mean, you know, somebody reading this should automatically just read this and maybe think to themselves, well, maybe I should change my diet, you know, considering that these toxins, and I mean, they, they there are some gruesome descriptions on what these microbes does to your brain. It's like, I mean, I know I've stopped eating meat, uh, but, you know, this would probably solidify for me if I was still eating, eating a lot of that stuff. So um, this will probably be a suggested reading to somebody uh, who you want to suggest to, you know, maybe at least change their diet and stop eating, you know, the, this bad meat. So uh, that's all I have right now in my life. We do have... The cows two o two o counter racist yoga retreat Toronto Canada get your passport plant 
based meals. No pork, no salmon, no parasites waiting in the flesh to burrow into your brain. May 21 through May 24th. Looking forward to hanging out, having lots of fresh fruits, vegetables, no parasites. Uh, other folks, comments, questions, still getting their notes together. I'll share one of the listeners who wrote in uh, about the book we have been reading. Uh, Investor, he writes, uh, this week's week. Uh, blah, blah. This week's reading was once again full of important information. Number one, 71% of Americans with HIV disease uh, syndrome, uh, I am told, uh, are black or Latino. And 53% of the people who died from HIV AIDS, this explains why the disease is talked about in the media currently. Quite a difference from the media presence during the 1980s when it was primarily associated with white, gay, Males. They have the Black AIDS Institute. I'm not aware of the white gay male or gay man AIDS Institute, but they do have the Black AIDS Institute. Number two, the presence of the preventable diseases such as dengue, fever, and chagas in the U.S. among non-white victims when they are often associated with so-called third world countries speaks to the global nature of the system of racism, white supremacy. Number three, the section on poor whites who are affected by intestinal worms and the rising death rates among white Americans provides evidence of white sacrifice as described by Neely Fuller Jr., which is tactical for racist man and racist woman. As non-white victims, we should not sympathize. Number four, the comparison between the population dislocation of black people in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and the similar population dislocation of the Chinese after the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco shows how the tactics of racist man and racist woman are refined and recapitulated. Number five, the text suggests that individual communities hmm, need the force of law and government when attempting to eradicate environmental poisons. However, the text provides examples in which so-called government was the perpetrator of environmental poisons. For example, Flint, Michigan. Excellent note. Government involvement and even uh, Texas taking a hands-off approach, meaning we're going to have uh, as few regulations as possible so that you can come in with all of your noxious poisons and chemicals and we won't bother you. We won't come and nag you to see that you're disposing of things properly and not poisoning the surrounding Negras on the fence line. Oh, no, no. We won't do any of that. Do whatever you want. As long as you're making business, getting those business taxes, generating money for the great state of Texas. No problem. That, in my view, is a part of government participation in all of this uh, environmental terrorism, white supremacy. Uh, let's see. I'll check again before I get to my notes. See if other folks uh, have comments, questions, thoughts to share. Uh, if you have a hand up, uh, feel free. Hello. Uh, good evening, everybody. Good evening, Gus. I was 
wondering, I uh, was listening to the, the segment about the um, the dog feces and the um, parasites, and I had to click off. So I'm wondering um, if I missed any information on um, cat litter um, and, and its psychological effects, because there's a... Um, a saying I've heard a couple times that a person, um, you know, is, cra- is as crazy as cat litter. And I know there's listeria um, in it, which pregnant women should avoid. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm just wondering if she spoke on that at all. And I'll, I'll mute my line for now. I don't believe she mentioned cat feces specifically, but she did mention uh, parasites. Uh, that can be picked up from cats. I can, let me see if I can get the exact sentence. Let's see. Okay. African Americans and Hispanics also have the nation's highest rates of death. Oh man. See, they got me with these medical terms. Let's see. Toxoplasma. Gandhi, think I got it, infection, which causes the disease ah, toxoplasmosis and a slew of other medical problems. This parasite of cats can result in fetal death and abortion, as well as psychiatric syndromes that include neurocognitive deficits and even schizophrenia, according to Robert Yolkin, director of developmental neuro, neuro, uh, neurovirology at John Hopkins University. Cats. Thank you. For sure. Lots of medical terms in this one. Uh, Other folks with us have comments, questions, thoughts they wanted to share. Grant, I'll get to some of uh, of my notes and then we'll check back in uh, with listeners. Uh, The portion, I think Henry in Chicago uh, shared this as well uh, at the beginning uh, of the reading this week. Uh, fully, this is over a half million New Yorkers live in communities where the death rate for African Americans under 65 is twice the rate for white, white Americans. Their health mirrors the health of people in the developing world where infections unknown to wealthy Westerners run rampant. I thought that was so important for so many reasons. Um, white and I've I've heard statistics like this regularly where you can have a white person and a black person in the exact same environment sometimes in the exact same school exact same classrooms and they're getting the exact different results exact opposite results uh, in terms of health classroom performance you name it that is the precision in my view of the system of white supremacy racism where you can be in the same city and have that type of staggering difference in the quality of life, quality of education, quality of food. I mean, it just goes garbage collection, you name it. Also that they can, in a system of white supremacy, they have such control you talk about culturing, refining things. If you're a gardener, you refine, you know, the vegetables, your produce, things of that nature. They had the dog competition, Westminster, you refine, you know, you get dog with papers and you can breed them so you can refine certain characteristics. 
they can refine the system so that even though we victims of racism, white supremacy in the Northwest Hemisphere, United States specifically, as they call it, say, hey, we got access to, you know, quality this and all this technology and transportation and medical care and all of this. They can structure things so that you can be here and that your quality of life and health will be exactly the same as black people who live in a hut somewhere, what they call a third world country. That is what domination looks like. Staggering even to think, you know, for a moment. Wow. Next note, let's see. Poor Americans are at risk for neglected tropical diseases. She uses the acronym NTDs, but poor Americans of color are at the great highest risk. I appreciate the caller uh, when they just chimed in said uh, not sympathizing. You have white sacrifice uh, where white people sometimes might be the ones with the parasites or white people might be the ones sometimes with lead in the water or whatever it is. Uh, they dump to- toxins everywhere. So it's going to impact everybody. You have white sacrifice, but I, I super appreciate that she keeps emphasizing the people who are most impacted. That's how you run a business. Yep. Some of the white people are going to get this too. Yep. They're going to get Chagas and dengue fever and all the rest of it. Mad cat. All. Yep. That is going to happen. But the people that are being targeted, the people that this is going to be the biggest problem for, the dark folks. Next. She said, I found almost no contemporary literature that explores the relationship between uh, and these talking about white people. Let me give the whole uh, books that address uh, these rising death rates talking about white people. This is when she talked about the rising death rates of white people, so-called opioid epidemic that was reported in uh, 2014. Books that address these rising death rates, still much lower than that of African-Americans, I said that too, are beginning to appear, but I found almost no contemporary literature that explores the relationship between their supposedly lower intelligence and environmental exposure, as I have found for people of color. I suspect there is a link, but the data vacuum in this area prevents me from discussing it as I had hoped. I thought that was significant. I'm still having to think on it. Not finding... Any data, any relationship, no investigation between white people, this uh, increase in death rates, white people having some sort of environmental or having lower intelligence and perhaps having some sort of environmental exposure. Why wouldn't they have a study like that in Appalachia? Why wouldn't they have a study like that? Maybe that's contributing to, to the mortality rate. I just thought that was interesting. Particularly, she says, because they do have this, these sort of studies for so-called people of color, non-white people. Uh, next, Dr. Robert Bullard. We started the program with him last week. Author of Dumping in Dixie has documented how sanitary services and even basic utilities are often missing from African-American communities, so-called. And not just the poor ones, even middle class African-American neighborhoods sometimes lack basic utilities and adequate sanitary services. I'll stop here because that's the second time the word has been used. If you cannot get feces, garbage removed from your area in a timely manner, that might there might disqualify you from having a community. That's what I mean about word use. Very important, just in terms of how we think. 
You can't have a community in a system of racism, white supremacy. If you can be gentrified, poisoned at will, and it's nothing that you can do about it. That's not a community. You're just, you know, a group of people who you are allowed to be here and just do the best you can to hope that they don't poison your water or dump toxic sludge uh, on you and your children. Also, uh, she continues to point out Mr. Fuller has in the word guide. He does say not to use the word uh, community, but he also recommends not using the term middle class. It's no such thing in a system of white supremacy. And Harry A. Washington gives the why doesn't matter if you have a few extra nickels even they struggle to get their garbage collected in a timely manner and she's pointed that out consistently that even so called middle class black people they are treated worse than the poor white people you don't have a community you don't have a so called middle class lower class you just have victims of racism white supremacy sometimes they give you a little extra cornbread some days they don't sometimes they give you the extra cornbread sometimes they come and take it back Next. <clears throat> she talked about Hurricane Katrina. We did uh, signature work. Uh, it would hurt my head to go back in the archives for all the years. A.C. Thompson, when he was on the program in 2009, uh, talking about the white vigilante violence uh, during Hurricane Katrina, where they went out to kill black people. He had evidence of exclusively black males, at least 11 who were killed during and after Hurricane Katrina and the failure of the levees, that old black male privilege. Uh, we had uh, Katrina after the flood. Uh, we read that book in the book club in 2015. And then we had the author, Gary Rivlin, as a guest on the program, which is rare because we often do not have a book in the book club. And then also the author pops up on the program. But that did happen when the Gary Rivlin, white author, that book has a lot of constructive information about the system of white supremacy, racism. Like I said, it would hurt my head. Uh, Fear no gumbo. Uh, we had lots of people on with Hurricane Katrina. Lots of, of white supremacy racism revealed there. Uh, she says rebuilding often uses toxic materials as well. Very important because in Katrina, they brought in those top. Remember, they brought in the toxic trailers. Uh, Irie talked about that previously. They brought in the toxic trailers, gave a whole lot of people brain damage and other health problems. And then they took them out. Irie said last week or uh, previously that they took them from Louisiana, Mississippi, and shipped them off to Haiti. Lots of black people here. You don't even know anything about. Did you hear about anything about contamination trailer? Oh, yeah. You don't know that. Yeah. Here you go. Have a trailer. Wonderful. Love the, the Haitian people. Love you. Thank you so much. Continuing. She said in post Katrina, New Orleans, for example, environmental and air pollution standards were relaxed to accelerate reconstruction. Again, that would be government participation uh, in the poisoning of black people. What's more, as part of post-Katrina recovery efforts, private companies were allowed to acquire public housing. Again, that would be government participation. They got video of that when they came and knocked down the public housing. The homes of poor evacuees were condemned as nuisances marked for demolition and resold at extremely cheap prices. Such actions, along with the billions allocated to the Army Corps of Engineers, that's another government entity, for rehabilitation of levees entrenched rather than ease the vulnerability of poor communities of got that word again again if all of this this is not a community and i was in uh louisiana uh new orleans specifically uh one year before katrina and it did not look like a so-called community then it looked like if you sneeze too hard a whole lot of things might fall into disrepair uh introduced 
additional environmental vulnerabilities for people, communities of color, both by introducing additional environmental exposures in the short term and by displacing former residents from the safer rehabilitated housing in the long term. Yerps, that's the name. They were displaced and you brought in all these young white people to come in and open yoga studios and, you know, all the rest, falafel shops, dance studios, you name it. Uh, Let's see. Man, I felt like such uh, a heathen. We had a listener. She uh, left a comment last week about our reading section on Harriet A. Washington's uh, terrible thing to waste. But it was not left on the archive site at Black Talk Radio. It wasn't uh, left uh, on some of the other sites like social media and places where I archive. And I was like, oh, man, I'm struggling to find where she left this comment. But this is a, a mother. The section last weekend, this week, talking about pregnant moms and being mindful about what you eat. Uh, and do you eat fish? Do you not eat fish? Has the fish been poisoned? They, you know, toxify everything that it can really drive you crazy. And she said that her doctor told her to eat fish or, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And then she found out that it was, I wanted to read her comment exactly, but I'm struggling to relocate. Um, but the portion I highlighted, she says eating seafood tainted by pseudo Nishia algae triggers much more than usual mayhem of nausea, intestinal pain, projecting vomiting, projectile vomiting. That's what it was. I said, whoa, projectile vomiting. And then she said explosive diarrhea. I said, man, whoa, whoa. I've never even heard of projectile vomiting and explosive diarrhea. What does that look like? Do they have a special toilet? for that? Like, man. For the PEI diners, these unpleasant effects were eclipsed by horrifying cognitive symptoms, and that's not even the worst of it. Thanks to demoic acid, a potent neurotoxin contained in pseudonychia algae, the infected became confused, aggressive, disoriented, and prone to endless crying jacks. They also permanently lost the ability to form any new memories. I am going vegan right now. <laughs> like... What in the world? Projectile vomiting? You can't. I'm good. Not saying that because they, they'll have salmonella and some other things with fruits and vegetables that become tainted. But I mean, wow. <sighs> Next, let's see with the food. And she does have, you know, tips on what to eat, what not to eat. Mad cow. She had right very next section. Plant based yoga retreat I'd heard this before about mad cow and even specifically her theory that many of these cases of Alzheimer's disease uh, are not that that they are in fact mad cow disease Uh, I'd heard that before uh, from a number of folks uh, who that was their theory uh, about these uh, symptoms uh, and what was happening uh, with the conduct and mental deterioration Uh, again seems like it would be kind of easy to If that is the case, I will greatly reduce, if not totally eliminate, consumption of red meat. Won't have to worry about that anymore. Incidentally, later this month, we should have uh, on the program the author of the book, uh, Franchise, Black Female. Uh, It just came out. We played a segment on the compensatory call-in, and it talks about McDonald's specifically and their role not in the black community, uh, areas where black people are allowed to reside, 
uh, and them being a center for lots of activity, uh, allowing for franchise opportunities, but also because you have so-called food deserts and because you don't have a Whole Foods uh, where black people say that this will end up being their main source of food. Uh, and you'll just have lots of loyal customers uh, and black people just come in and get their Big Macs and chicken nuggets and all the rest of it from the time that they're tiny uh, all the way up until, you know, they're 60 years old. They can just go to McDonald's and, you know, eat away. I've been in that number uh, myself. And they talked about the uh, higher number of these types of fast food restaurants that are located in places where black people live. If that's the case, uh, we already talked about, hey, the malt liquor she suggested last week and she talked about that, that they'll have a higher number of malt liquor and cigarettes advertised and sold in areas where you have black people. They'll have a higher number of these type of fried uh, fast food restaurants in areas where you have a lot of black people. Why, it would be really easy to have tainted meat, low quality meat in areas where you have a lot of black people. Same thing that I just said a few minutes ago, you'll probably have some white sacrifice. It might be, you know, a few white people who come through and they decide they want to hang out with the colors and eat with them. Fine. Oh, well, tough cookies. They shouldn't be hanging out there. That's what you get. White sacrifice. But it'll mostly be the colors and what they say in the God are the animals anyway. So, you know, whatever. That would be easy to do. Easy remedy. I don't eat any of that stuff. I don't eat at McDonald's or, you know, any of the rest of it. I don't do red meat. Fruits veggies uh, let's see oh and I didn't even read the section I highlighted because African Americans are diagnosed with Alzheimer's twice as often as whites scientific scrutiny into this possibility could be a great boon to the commu- community uh, because at least some cases of mad cow unlike Alzheimer's can be prevented by removing suspect meats and proteins from the diet absolutely we just don't need to go to McDonald's no big deal we just don't go to Harmies, Hardy's Carl Jr's jack-in-the-box sonic we just don't go there no big deal more room for brussels sprouts let's see she started chapter six uh just i thought that was important and uh chapter six taking the cure what can you do now and offering suggestions what to eat what not to eat cleaning so excited to get to the rest of the reading but she started with a quote from Arthur Ashe start where you are use what you have do what you can Arthur Ashe from the great state commonwealth of Virginia the coon man current governor Uh, they just had a big battle there uh, dumping in Dixie right that's the name of uh, Dr. Bullard's book in Richmond they just had a big battle last year about changing the name of one of the states in Richmond, one of the main streets, excuse me, one of the main streets in Richmond. It had the name of one of the Confederate soldiers, some suspected racist, and they were going to finally change it over Arthur Ashe, tremendous tennis player, died from HIV AIDS mentioned in the book, died from HIV AIDS mentioned in the book, complications with so-called HIV AIDS uh, from a blood transfusion. And, uh, They were finally going to switch it open. He won, you know, Grand Slam tournaments and all that extraordinary tennis players before the Williams sisters. And uh, they had, he was, I don't know, why, I don't know. Yeah, he could play tennis. It's a shame that he's gone, but we don't want to change the street names. I mean, my goodness, I got, you know, I got a shop right here. We've been here for a long time. We changed it over to this Negra's name. I got to get, you know, my shop sign, my shop sign change. You know, it's expensive. Got to pay money for that to come in and, and switch it over from, you know, Confederate Alley to 
Arthur Ashe way? I mean, really? Is it is it worth all that? Playing tennis is worth that much? I said, let's keep it. They had tons of white. This is a big to-do. You can look online and see about changing this over to Arthur Ashe, victim of white supremacy racism. Arthur Ashe talked about in the ISIS papers written by Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. I'll pause there. Uh, any other folks who dialed in with a hand up have a thought, comment, suggestion they would like Thomas to share? Thomas in New York. Yes, sir. Good evening, guys. Good evening to all the callers. Uh, what's worse? Government participation or government non-intervention? Um, you know, either way, the government's liable. You know, they were supposed to stop it from happening. So even if they weren't participating, they're still liable, in my opinion, uh, which is why I don't root, you know, um, mad cow disease. Uh, you just mentioned that the, you got the bird flu, the swine flu. You know, they all have addicts. You know, these are all things they created. And I saw a video with some zombie bears some, growing some stuff out. Uh, you know, but, um, yeah. Uh, the book... Um, Baltimore, Detroit, New Orleans, Chicago, Harlem. Uh, we went from lead, arsenic, red cord, exhaust exposure to parasites, worms, ticks, viruses, and diseases like Zika, Dengue, they got brain worms, Alzheimer's, uncooked pork, lava, some food, um, not washing hands, um, kissing the food, and um, boaches correlates with asthma, rodent-borne diseases. And I said, man, these are all happening in the same places <laughs> in the book. It's like, you know, they, they are very precise with, you know, where they, how they could target at us specifically, you know. Um, and yet, I think she said they outlive us by four years. Um, and I said, wow, that's it? What all you do? Um, you know, the black death rate is deceptive. Um, statistic due to the fact that our youth have an ongoing problem with killing each other. So you're adding in tens of thousands of 15 to 30 year olds with the 80 and 90 year olds and averaging it out and you won't get an accurate death rate, you know, that way. So, I mean, if it's just four years, you know, uh, I think that they're, um, you know, their success, you know, it's probably why they work so hard. It's just not working as well as we thought. Um, but um, the IQ test again, um, I'm just, man, I, I've been looking into it, and I'm just um, finding this to be just a, a like a litmus test to see how well and effective their system's working. Um, you know, just to, not to kill us, but just to make us dumb. You know, just to make us, a, 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 just so they have the advantage um, mentally, you know, it seems like in a lot of cases. And I'll mute my mind. Thank you, Gus. Much obliged, Thomas in New York. I think a few folks uh, have pointed that out with the uh, life expectancy for whites not being, it's not like they live in 20 years longer, 10 years longer uh, in many instances. Uh that if there was no system of racism, white supremacy, what would their life expectancy be? Interesting to even ponder on uh, the rodents as well. That's what I said about the precision on the system of racism, white supremacy, the way, where they have so many different uh, methods uh, to cause all of this. And then, you know, whether it's, it's the rodents, 
the lead poisoning, the water, uh, they've poisoned the animals, the algae, I mean, the, 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 uh, the mad cow, the tainted pork. They got so many different things uh, coming in, lack of regulation uh, about environmental toxins and what have you, fence lines, so-called communities. They got so many things and then they'll wait and come back and say, oh, yeah, it's your fault. You, you didn't use spick and span properly. Yeah, we'll we'll bring in Brillo pads and uh, show you the proper way to clean your residence and wash your hands, and that'll solve the problem. Keep it tacky. Uh, other folks' uh, thoughts, observations, questions from the first portion of the reading. Can I say one more thing? I'm sorry. Uh, see, we'll get, I guess uh, Thomas in New York, you want to go first, then we'll get Henry in Chicago. I'm sorry, Henry. I'm going to be real quick. I was working at a job where they had um, dead bug infestation. And um, she kind of mentioned this in the book. That's why I'm saying it. Um, and um, the guy, came, I had to stay late, and the guy came with a dog and he sniffed it out and, you know, sprayed in areas and old stuff. But he was, while I was talking to him, he said, it was a white guy, um, that back in the day when they used to have all the chemical plants, you wouldn't have any bed bugs, but that's a um, correlation with some of the regulations that were put, um, you know, um, on having certain chemicals and things in certain areas. Now you're starting to see an influx of them. And I'll do my line. She mentioned that with some, some bug or something in the book. Wow. Now that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I certainly am not a fan of bed bugs, but if it was so unregulated that they allowed enough toxic poisons in the area that it killed off the bed bugs, what else was it doing? And what impact was that having on uh, human health, uh, having that much poison uh, in the air? Something to think of. And again, this, could, this is the type of information that I think we should be mindful about when we talk about who is more informed about racism, white supremacy, and are uh, black people informed about white supremacy, racism, because a lot of this information, I don't think uh, just typical victim of racism uh, understands this. I don't think typical victims of racism, white supremacy are thinking like, wow, I bet we're in an area where they have got all kinds of poisons and toxins and, you know, uh, poison slime and sludge uh, beneath it. Like, I just don't think most people, most victims, non-white people, I just don't think that they're thinking uh, that racism is being practiced against them in that manner, even if they have some inclination that there might be a smell or maybe there's a factory with some smoke or whatever. I just don't think most victims, including myself, grasp the scale. Uh, much obliged for your patience. Henry in Chicago. Uh, yes, on, on 219 uh, in regards to the uh, life expectancy uh, when she was talking about how uh, she was living in uh, she was living in East Harlem and uh, it had one of the lowest life expectancies in New York. But 10 blocks away, uh, the life expectancy was uh, the highest in the city. And it made me think about a report that uh, that they did here locally in Chicago where uh, the life expectancy in Streeterville which is a predominantly white area, uh, if not all white, uh, was 90 years old. And in Inglewood, which is about 
nine miles south of Streeterville, the life expectancy was 60. So I, I you know, I kind of thought about that. And, you know, it, what, what's also interesting is, you know, we have to also be more observant of what we're eating and what's going around us uh, as well. Uh, I've noticed, like, uh, when people throw away McDonald's and dogs, like street dogs, who would generally eat anything, they would not eat certain McDonald's foods. And I've, like, noticed this one day when, you know, I was watching, a, 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 a you know, a street dog who wouldn't touch a Big Mac for some reason or another. But, you know, it's a dog that just kind of like ate anything. So, you know, we, we have to observe stuff like this as well. Like, what are they feeding us, you know, in, in, our, in our areas uh, where these McDonald's and all these other, other stores, uh, fast food restaurants uh, are planted, you know, in, in black areas. So uh, that's all I have in my life. Excellent point. Excellent point. I know Mr. Fuller talks about that. Just being observant of uh, about the environments in which we live. The book is uh, Franchise, The Golden Arches in Black America. Maria or Marcia, sorry, Marcia Chatelain, C-H-A-T-E-L-A-I-N. She should be coming on the program in a few weeks. Uh, Black History Month. She's black female professor. Uh, but yeah, she should be here later. McDonald's. One more thing, one more thing, Gus. Um, because what Henry just said, and I did this on um Cal's uh, episode maybe a couple years ago. Uh, when you go to on East in East Manhattan, um, on Ninety Sixth Street, that's the Upper East Side. Um, most rich and affluent white people in the world. Once you cross Ninety Sixth Street, on the other side is the project. And it's projects after projects. That's East Harlem. Well, the medium household income in um, Upper East Side is like $130,000 per household. And the average medium income in East Harlem is like 20000 just a block away from each other. It's, it's, so I could see that how the death rate is definitely a big difference there, too. I never thought to look into that, but I'm glad she put that in the book. precision in the system of racism, white supremacy. You can't be uh, ignorant talking about white people. You can't be ignorant and have that level of precision globally uh, with how things are going to operate. Even when people are in that close of proximity, you still see the staggering effects of the system of white supremacy, racism. Um, but yeah, the uh, McDonald's just not what we want to be eating on a regular basis. Uh, and again, for moms, I, I feel like this book should be required reading before you attempt to have offspring. Cause there's so much to consider. Uh, what she was talking about, does it, I mean, have they done studies? Does it impact your sperm? If the male is consuming alcohol up to, you know, leading up to conception, same thing for cigarette smoking. And, you know, all the rest of it, being in a toxic environment. How does that, I mean, lots to think about should be required. Re- and even how some of these chemicals, maybe they are, you know, so-called not dangerous at certain times. But if you have a young child who's more sensitive to these toxins, poisons, uh, whether they're in utero, whether they're just, you know, 
three months old, one month old, uh, at certain times they are more susceptible uh, to potentially long-term injuries, damage as a result of these poisons. It's just vital information. Uh, folks who are attempting, black people who are attempting, thinking about having children. Maybe this is one, if, you, if things look like they're getting serious, people who talk about having 200 questions, uh, black male, black female, you're you know, so-called dating. This is getting serious. We're looking at something long term. You should be reading together. You can read this book together and talk like, wow, this is amazing. So much to think about. We can, you know, investigate your environment together, investigate your eating habits together. Make sure that you're putting yourself in a healthier position if you're seriously thinking about offspring. Anything else folks want to make sure uh, they get in before we get to audio segment number two. Uh, Star six one. If you have a hand up, anything to share? You know that was interesting because you uh, you made me think about the next time I go to a uh, am I invited to a wedding? This will probably be a a wedding gift for the couples, uh, considering they might be thinking about having children. So uh, that's all. Excellent wedding gift. Read it together read it together you can do the audio book or you know whatever but read it together and discuss parents should know this information and it's not we're not even done yet she has more chapter six chapter six uh anything else folks want to make sure they get in um i think it was him earlier who said um in chicago he finds that it's much worse hospitals in the um black area and I find the opposite in New York, where all of the best hospitals are in the ghetto. Uh, Columbia Presbyterian is in Washington Heights, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, even over on the east side, I think that's Mount Sinai. I mean, you have all the... Now, um, even NYU downtown, it's in the... Right by the projects downtown. It's not... You know, they, it seems like... I, I'm thinking... Uh, her other book, they're experimenting on us in these hospitals, you know. Um, but uh, I find that if a white person was to get shot um, in midtown Manhattan, they got to bring them up to Harlem. They can't fix those. Those hospitals in their areas are not trauma centers. They're there for um, specific reasons, cancer, whatever, research, you know, all these different things. Our, all our hospitals are trauma centers, which are essentially the best hospitals. It's just, you know, just two days. Theirs is more preventive. Ours is more when something happens. You catch what I'm saying? Interesting. And again, they can manipulate that. I think Chicago, if I remember correctly, they were voting to do the Obama library in Chicago I remember, uh, so I wrote about it. I wrote a report about it. Uh, there were groups saying, hey, we don't need a President Obama library. We need a trauma hospital. We're in Chicago. They talk about all and tease us about having all these black gun deaths on a regular uh, basis. Let's have a trauma center. We don't need a library. They can manipulate as they choose. Again, system of white supremacy racism. That is what domination looks like. And that was just last year they implemented that trauma center. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. System of racism. Uh, oh, let's see. Person. 
uh, person who dialed in on the Skype line. Uh, did you have question, comment? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, I was just listening to some of the folks and uh, w- what they were saying about um, like particular areas, like um, some of these areas which you may call the ghetto and the uh, projects there. They they look like they're environmentally designed to put non-white people there, and you know you might have a chemical factory or a gun shop or a liquor store. You know it's it's like wherever they put non-white people, it's it's for a particular reason, and um, it's not designed to make them healthy and 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 with with to be healthy. And then another person was um, another person was saying something about air pollution. The, the, um, well, I think it was the report. It was talking about the connection between air pollution and life expectancy. And they were using California and Texas as an example. And it seems like there's a big connection between air quality, like air pollution, and life expectancy. So, um, so for example, if uh, if a non-white person wanted to move to one prison yard, as Mr. Fuller would say, you might want to do some research to find out, you know, how that particular state is. You know, do they have like, do they have enough hospitals? Is there a lot of pollution there? Is you know, things like that. And I'll just uh, I'll just mute my line. Much obliged, much obliged. That's why I said like to do that, to even be thinking, hey, this would be something, you know, quality to research about, you know, which plantation I want to be on. Having this sort of information to be thinking in that way. Lots to know, lots of information to be aware of in the system. Uh, Unless folks have anything else, we will go ahead and get to audio segment Number two, Grant, uh, if you have additional comments uh, you did not get to share during the first audio segment, make a note. Uh, we should have ample time once the second audio segment concludes, uh, and we will get your questions, comments, thoughts uh, once we wrap it up. Uh, so we will pick up. We're in chapter six. Uh, I said the subheading is enroll your child in pre-K. We will go ahead and get started again. This is Harriet A. Washington, A Terrible Thing to Waste. Context of White Supremacy, audio segment number two. Enroll your child in pre-K. Pre-K enrichment programs like Head Start have been demonstrated to improve the academic performance of children. Other forms of pre-kindergarten or pre-K enrichment also help children practice and improve verbal and reasoning skills that are invaluable in the classroom and that boost IQ and standardized test scores. Free pre-K programs should be mandatory nationwide as one way to level the academic playing field from the beginning. Until they are available everywhere, find one for the children in your life at the Head Start website where you can check your child's eligibility and apply. Fight toxins in schools. 
Unfortunately, many children face their highest risks of environmental poisoning in what should be the safest of all venues, at school. A 2001 study by the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice entitled Kids at Risk, Toxic Schools, Creating Safe Learning Zones revealed that more than 600,000 mostly poor and minority group students in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Michigan, and California were attending nearly 1,200 public schools located within half a mile of a federal superfund or state-identified contaminated site. Contact the EPA if you are concerned that your child's school may be one of them. In large cities like New York and small communities like Anniston, schools as well as homes have been found to have harbored noxious, brain-damaging chemicals and heavy metals like lead. Because children spend so much time in schools, such environments require attention and immediate detoxification. Unfortunately, you cannot always rely upon the school administrators to assume leadership. In New York City, school administrations hid their school's lead contamination by deliberately misleading investigators and workers who were sent to test school lead levels. If you ask for information about contamination issues in your child's school and do not receive answers, be prepared to persist and to go higher. The EPA offers information about attaining a lead-free school at their website. There is power in numbers, so try to recruit other parents in your search for answers and solutions. Start at the EPA. Its Guide to Training Testing and its Guide for Community Partners, a blueprint for organizing, can be downloaded from their website. Refer also to Chapter 7 for a complete list of practical steps to help you organize for the environmental health of your community. Poison-proof your home. You cannot eliminate all sources of toxic exposure, but there are steps you can take to reduce and minimize exposures to environmental poisons within your home. Air quality. If you live in an area plagued by heavy industrial emissions, the air quality in your home is not completely under your control, but you can improve it. If you can afford to, keep your doors and windows closed and use your air conditioner to minimize emissions, at least during high traffic hours. Some energy companies and cities have home energy rebate programs to assist with bills. Vermin control. Cockroaches and dust mites worsen asthma. Rodents carry pathogens that may encourage hypertension, which is linked to lower cognition. To remove them, hire a professional exterminator and follow his advice to keep these unhealthy visitors at bay. If you rent, check your municipal codes or with a local housing authority or legal aid to determine your rights as a renter. Usually, it is the landlord's responsibility to ensure vermin-free housing so she must pay for extermination. Vacuuming Use a HEPA vacuum often to minimize your family's exposure to tracked-in toxic substances, dust mites, cockroach parts, and other vermin. Cleaning supplies Many cleaners contain volatile toxic chemicals, such as halogenated hydrocarbons, that harm the lungs and present neurotoxic threats that harm the brain. Others, such as bleach and ammonia, 
or bleach and various acids, become poisonous when mixed together. Read labels, and whenever possible, choose cleaners that do not contain a long list of chemicals. Many are hydrocarbons, or poisons, that are readily absorbed through the skin. Diluted bleach, which should always be handled with care. Simple detergents and ammonia can be used separately for many household cleaning jobs and are far more economical than complex specialized cleaners. But always use gloves and handle bleach carefully because it can cause a lot of damage if it's splashed on the body or if it gets in the mouth or eyes. All cleaning products should be stored in locked, child-safe cabinets. A bad taste will not deter toddlers from sampling these poisons. Many people use essential oils in cleaning, but these are sometimes toxic as well. Some should not be used by pregnant women, and they can be expensive. For a useful description of low-toxicity cleaning options, see Less Toxic Living, How to Reduce Your Everyday Exposure to Toxic Chemicals, An Introduction for Families, by Kirsten McCulloch. Paper Masks Use paper masks during periods of highest exposure to poor air quality. This might include outdoor activities near toxic-spewing factories, riding the subway in an area of substandard air quality, or outdoor tasks that may heighten your exposure to polluted soil, air, or other pollution hotspots. Recall the story from Chapter 3 of Shirley Baker, who donned a paper mask to mow her toxic-soaked lawn. City dwellers should emulate commuters in heavily polluted Asian cities who are frequently seen wearing masks on public transportation. Studies show they indeed offer some protection against not only pollutants, but also some communicable diseases like the flu and colds. Shoes Lead, industrial chemicals, animal dander, pesticides, chemical dust, pathogens, and a wide assortment of uninvited visitors can hitch a ride into your home on the soles of your shoes. Consider leaving your shoes at the door and going shoeless inside, or trading your shoes for flip-flops when you enter, and ask your guests to do the same. But avoid walking barefoot outside, where you can absorb pollutants through the skin and pick up parasites, including hookworms, which have been demonstrated to sap intelligence and are making a resurgence in parts of the United States. Poison-proof your water Between polluted bodies of water, corroded external and indoor pipes, and even the overuse of corrective chemicals like chlorine, few of us can be certain that the water we drink in our homes is free of dangerous contaminants. We need only remember that the people of Flint were repeatedly assured that their water was safe while their brains were being assaulted by high levels of lead to realize that we should be vigilant. There are many options to protect yourself from waterborne contaminants, but none is foolproof, and very few counteract every kind of toxic exposure. Bottled water Bottled water is relatively safe although it is an expensive and inconvenient solution, especially for a family. The expense incurred goes beyond the financial outlay. The energy required and pollution generated by its processing, bottling, transportation, and disposal makes bottled water an environmentally questionable option. Furthermore, 
The plastic bottles that contain the water may not be perfectly safe, but there is a way to check. You may have noticed numbers and symbols on plastic containers. These can tell you whether the bottle that holds your water contains chemicals that are known to be or suspected of being toxic. Look for triangular recycling signs on the bottle. If the triangle contains the number 1 and the letters PET or PETE for polyethylene terephthalate, it means the plastic does not contain BPA, which is good. But PET is a form of phthalate, which should be avoided whenever possible. Do not reuse such bottles because the chemicals can eventually leach into water and food. Bottles with the number 2 inside the triangular recycling symbol and the letters HDPE, high-density polyethylene, are a better choice because they contain no BPA, phthalates, or any other known toxic chemical. Water filters. There are many types of water filters, from $20 pitcher filters to $1,500 systems that are permanently installed in your home plumbing. The various models use everything from activated charcoal to ultraviolet UV light to remove pathogens, parasites, heavy metals, and chemicals. But few, if any, filters remove all of these or remove them completely. If your household includes infants or pregnant women, seriously consider using a water filter. As noted in Chapter 4, young children drink about four times as much as adults relative to their weight, and the young, especially fetuses, are much more sensitive to toxic pollutants than adults. What kind of water filter should you invest in? That depends on the contaminants you wish to remove, your budget, and how much space you have. First, find out what issues your water is known to have, bearing in mind that both the water that enters your home and your household pipes may be sources of contamination. You can do this by checking the Environmental Protection Agency's water quality reports for your city at epa.gov safewater. These are updated every July. But if you use well water, or if your house was built before 1986, when lead-free plumbing was mandated, you should have your water tested. Call your local health department to ask for a free test kit. The EPA website just mentioned lists local laboratories. Or call the EPA Safe Drinking Water Hotline at 800-426-4791. If the lead levels are below 150 parts per billion, a water filter can remove them. If they are higher, ask the EPA or your local health department for guidance. Once you know what contaminants threaten your water, decide whether you want a point-of-use, POU, filter, which can be used in a pitcher or installed on the spigot, or a point-of-entry, POE, filter, attached to your home plumbing where the water enters your home. Bear in mind that installing a POE system will filter the water entering your home but will not remove pollutants emanating from your own plumbing. So unless your home was built after 1986, lead or other toxic substances can leach from your pipes into your water. Also, even if you do not have lead plumbing, lead can enter your water from other sources, such as the solder on pipes. If you rent, 
you probably want a portable system because PoE systems are expensive. No matter which type you choose, change filters at least as often as the manufacturer's directions indicate in order to keep them effective and to prevent the growth of bacteria and mold. Following are the most common types of filters. Carbon filters are filled with carbon-based material like charcoal or burnt bamboo or coconut. These materials are activated to increase their ability to absorb contaminants. They remove chlorine, pesticides, and petrochemicals, but do not remove all lead and fluorine unless they incorporate a filter impregnated with KDF filters, granules that are composed of a half-zinc, half-copper alloy. KDF filters include zinc-copper granules that remove heavy metals, ions, bacteria, algae, and fungi. They do not remove pesticides and parasites. If they get clogged, they can release pollutants back into your water, so they need to be backwashed with hot water. These filters are most useful when paired with the carbon filter. Ion exchange filters use a variety of resins to remove heavy metals, nitrates, and fluoride. They do not remove sediment, pesticides, microbes, or chlorine. Bacteria may grow on them, which seems to defeat one purpose of a water filter. Reverse osmosis filters are complicated, expensive, built-in filtration systems that remove pesticides, fluoride, petrochemicals, chlorine, asbestos, nitrates, heavy metals, and radium. Some people avoid them because they worry that the resulting water is slightly acidic. But this is the normal pH of most natural water sources and is not dangerous to health. Sediment filters are made from a wide variety of materials that remove sand, rust, clay, and dirt particles. They are often used with carbon filters in order to keep them from clogging too quickly and often. UV sterilizers are the same type used in home aquariums. They are not filters, but instead use ultraviolet light to kill pathogens and algae. However, most treated water already contains chlorine, which also kills these pathogens. This makes UV systems redundant for most people. Once you have decided upon the type of water filter you want, look at independent quality ratings. Not only will they tell you which filters performed well in tests, but these ratings also give valuable information about product recalls and other issues. For example, in the late 1990s, when I worked as an editor at a national consumer magazine, I discovered that some water filters actually leached lead into the water they purified. Save yourself such unpleasant surprises by checking sites like Consumer Reports, Good Housekeeping, or Reviews.com. Fluorine Many filters remove fluorine, which raises the question of whether you want the fluorine removed from your water. Fluorine is used to prevent tooth decay, the incidence of which has continued to fall since it was first added to U.S. water. But approximately 50 studies worldwide, including several observational studies, have found an association between small fluorine exposures and lower-than-average IQ. This has caused some researchers to fear that fluorine can harm the developing brain in fetuses and the very young. But the question is hotly debated. 
Recent large studies in China and Mexico have found an association between lower IQ and prenatal fluoride exposures. In Mexico, pregnant women who had higher levels of fluoride in their urine and presumably delivered to their fetuses gave birth to children who had lower IQ scores when tested between 4 and 12 years of age than women with lower levels of urinary fluoride. As the researchers themselves point out, such observational studies can demonstrate a possible association, but not cause and effect. Most U.S. researchers I consulted, like pediatric dentist Donald Chi, professor of oral health sciences at the University of Washington, see no poisoning risk from the levels in U.S. water sources. More precise studies, perhaps longitudinal ones, must be done to better characterize fluoride's possible cognitive harms and provide parents more useful answers. A movement to ban water fluoridation in the wake of the new studies cited above is underway over the objections of the EPA and American Dental Association. In April 2017, the anti-fluoridation group Fluoridation Action Network, along with allied medical and dental groups, filed a lawsuit in California seeking to ban water fluoridation. The EPA responded by asking the federal court to dismiss the suit. But in December 2017, a federal judge refused to do so. Even if fluoride's effect on IQ is supported by well-conducted future studies, a general ban may not be nuanced enough. Depending on what future studies reveal, perhaps a fluoride ban should focus more narrowly on fetuses and newborns. It is possible that small amounts of fluorine found in fluoridated American water are harmful to the brains of fetuses and the very young, but perfectly safe for older children or adults. And because the fetus does not have teeth that fluoride can protect, there may be no advantage to this earliest fluoride exposure. Health experts will need more research data before they can tell us the logical steps to take. This recommendation may seem inconsistent with my recommendation that we embrace the precautionary principle by erring on the side of banning industrial chemicals until their safety has been demonstrated. However, fluoride is a special case. Unlike the noxious industrial chemicals in question, fluoride conveys demonstrated health benefits, except in fetuses and neonates who have no teeth to protect. Meanwhile, you still must make a decision for yourself and your family bearing in mind that children of color have more dental issues on average than other children, partly because Medicaid policies limit access to quality dental care. You should seek advice on this question from your child's doctor and dentist. If you decide to avoid fluoride altogether, make sure you buy a water filter that will remove it and give your young child training toothpaste, which does not contain fluoride. If you decide that you want fluoride's dental benefits, but worry that your filter may have removed it, ask your doctor about using naturally fluoridated salt, such as Himalayan salt, or the fluoridated salt sold in parts of Europe. Bear in mind that dentists recommend that children use only a pea-sized amount of toothpaste. More is unhealthy and increases their exposure to fluoride, possibly causing dental fluorosis, discoloration of the tooth enamel context of white supremacy.
Somebody said, this would be a great book to give as a wedding gift, new parents, wedding shower even maybe. Slip this in, you can slip in a, a gift card or a onesie or pampers or whatever else. And, oh yeah, slip that in too. Very important. Context of white supremacy. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, we still got chapter 7 to go. Didn't even finish all of chapter 6 really, but... Uh, We still got more to go, even though we are inching close to the conclusion. Number to dial again is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. just going to repeat something that I heard when she was talking about the fluoride at the conclusion really quick. I have a question too, but uh, just repeat really quick. Uh, She was talking about the fluoride and lots of debates about that. Some people saying they don't think it's safe and they don't want the fluoride in their water. Other people saying that there are benefits uh, to it and that we should have it uh, in the water. I did hear one fella and he said, Hey, I take the position that if we didn't have a seven 11 and a McDonald's, on every corner and soft drinks in the schools Coca-Cola here, Coca-Cola there Big Gulp here, Slurpee there if we didn't have all these sugary concoctions and sodas and what have you maybe we wouldn't need the fluoride or anything to protect our teeth, we'd have great teeth anyway but you know, that's just talking you know, nonsense plant-based yoga retreat, get that in again because we don't have soda uh, at the plant-based yoga retreat Anywho, star six one, if you have uh, thoughts, questions to share, if you did not get to share at all during the first audio segment, make sure to get your hand up now. Uh, Don't wait till the end. If you have something that you want to uh, contribute, go ahead and get a hand up. We'll make sure to get you on the line. All the folks who dialed in with a hand up uh, should be with us. Uh, Irie Thomas in New York, uh, Henry in Chicago. Uh, our caller on Skype uh, everybody should be here I'll keep an eye on the switchboard if other folks have contributions they would like to add uh, you can do so uh, everyone with a hand up proceed hello Irie in Louisiana yes hello again um, it's really funny about uh, the information that was just shared because um, my son, he's older now, and he's kind of convinced that um, there's nothing wrong with fluoride. We just went to the dentist, and he has some very, very small cavities. And I was telling him, you can use activated charcoal um, to to patch that up. And, you know, let's bring your um, CalMag Zinc, you know, get you maybe another supplement or a better supplement. But, like, um, before, when he was younger, you know, I, I, I mean, we don't use fluoridated toothpaste, and we didn't when he were young, was younger. And pe- the, the dentist asked, like, how is his teeth so good? I've never, she said, I've never seen a child come in here without cavities. And, you know, the only reason he has it now is because he's eating more junk now. Like I said, he's older. He's making decisions that, you know, without me. But back then, I was feeding him. We didn't do any cold drinks, nothing like that. I didn't give him a lot of candy. 
And I just told her that I'm like, I'm not giving him any, uh, any cold drinks or, or sweets. And, um, but when we went to the dentist the other day, they checked his teeth, did the x-ray, they did the, you know, the manual cleaning and she started to apply, um, the fluoride to his teeth without me asking. And I was just thinking as the summary was going, like, it's really funny how there are all these objections to fluoride. You would think that they would ask, Hey, we're about, we have a fluoride treatment. Do you, uh, want it or not no she just went right ahead started putting it on I said no ma'am take that out and so she she wiped it off and then she rinsed his mouth out um and that's all I have to share thank you everyone have a good night Mm, much obliged she has talked a lot about food uh what is important to eat not eating big part of that factored in those there's so much to think about as a parent man much obliged, Irie. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have comments to share, proceed. While folks are getting their thoughts together, I'll go through uh, some of my notes. Let's see. She spent so much time uh, talking about how children are more sensitive to chemicals and what have you. They're still developing. Their brains are at critical periods sometimes. So exposure to certain poisons can be extremely detrimental uh, to brain development. She's talked about that so frequently uh, throughout the text. And then she says fight toxins in school. Kids at risk, toxic schools creating safe learning zones revealed that more than 600,000 mostly poor and minority, probably black students in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Michigan and California. Didn't we just say that after the first audio segment that is not even tied to one locale anywhere, anywhere the niggers are, we go to work, Massachusetts, California, opposite side of the continent. Doesn't matter. Michigan. Don't think we forgot you in between anywhere. The black students are whammo uh, and it said we're attending nearly 1200 public schools located within a half mile of a federal superfund or state identified contaminated site. Again, we talk, we'd be talking about government government participation uh, in deliberate poisoning of black people, black children specifically. Uh, let's see. And then she says a couple sentences down, unfortunately, you cannot always rely upon the school administrators to assume leadership in New York City. School administrators, school administrations hid their schools lead contamination by deliberately misleading investigators and workers who were sent to test schools lead levels. If you ask for information about contamination issues in your child's school and do not receive answers, be prepared to persist and to go higher even that right there can be challenging I think that's important number one because we talk so uh, frequently again one of Justice's uh, more important questions uh, in her tenure here was how do white people hide information from black people there you go again right there uh, going to who is more informed about what we call racism white supremacy and 
the main method of maintaining this system being deception, deliberately withholding this information. And again, we're talking about children. Uh, they got super predators and all those stop and frisk laws in New York. Why would we want to be lying uh, about potential lead exposure uh, to black children, non-white children? In New York, why wouldn't we want to get this problem taken care of? Why wouldn't we want it? That way Michael Bloomberg wouldn't have to be going through all these questions about stop and frisk. And is he a racist? Get some of the lead out of the school. Maybe they'll be less aggressive. Maybe that. No. Uh, next, poison proof your home. Oh, I was going to ask too. Anyone on the phone line listening in? Have you had your water tested? That would be a good one. Have you had your water tested? If you had, dial in and share. Information is important. I'm going to get myself a water testing kit. I've never even had one to test the water to see if it's bad or not. We do have filters. I don't drink tap water. I have not drank uh, tap water for years uh, and have uh, used a filter and or lived in residence where we had bottled water uh, delivered. Not bottled, well, spring water delivered and that sort of thing and or purchased uh, water, but I have not drank tap water in a very long time uh, unless I've had uh, filters. She talked a lot about that too. That's later. Uh, but air quality, poison proof your home. First one she has is air quality. If you live in an area plagued by heavy industrial emissions, the air quality in your home is not completely under your control. Again, you don't have a community. If vital things like that, air, water, toxins period is there going to be a super fund in the middle of where our town is or where our elementary school is if you do not have control authority over these types of critical components you don't have a community just attempting to follow logic what's the point of being in a community if you don't have control of those critical components let's ask that question anyway uh, where she says you can improve, even if though it's not under your, uh, under your control, you can make improvements. If you can't afford to keep your doors and windows closed and use your air conditioner to minimize emissions, at least during high traffic hours, some energy companies and cities have home energy rebate programs to assist with bills. That can be costly depending on where you live. If you're in some place like retired firefighter in Florida, New Orleans, if you're in some place where it's really, really hot, maybe you can't afford an electric bill of having that air conditioning on. Uh, all throughout the daytime, high traffic hours, lots of emissions. Maybe you can't afford that. Maybe you got to have those windows open. System of white supremacy racism has lots of ways of making it difficult for black people to have an optimal environment for health. Uh, I'll stop there. Uh, she had lots more in this chapter. I'll stop there just to check in, see if uh, folks that are listening, uh, let's see. I think Traptomania should be with us. Other folks are there too. Volume is a little low. If you could speak up and or get closer to the receiver, that would be good. Okay. Uh, can you hear me better now? Uh, a little more black self-respect. Uh, a little more volume. A little closer to the microphone, maybe. Okay. Can I be heard now? That's a little better. Okay. Um, this is um Dr. Mania. Um, I just wanted to comment on um the uh the water uh in the different um uh you know, natural um 
you know, supplies uh, to use to be safe, um, less toxic um, uh, materials and things like that that I've been using for years because I've been doing um, um, research on this for years now. And um, I actually do use um, essential oils for um, cleaning. Um, I'll use um, I make my own um, cleaning products. Um, I've made um, my own uh, soap powder. Um, you can learn a lot of, um, of how to do all of this stuff from, from YouTube videos and things like that. It's like all natural. Uh, when I do buy um, different supplies, I try to buy um, the natural um, ingredients that, like soap powders and things like that that don't have all that extra. Um, it's like plant-based um, um, soap powders and things like that that I um, try to buy. Um, borax is good um, to um, use uh, for cleaning cleaning your house and um, using it. You can use that in your clothes also. I make my own toothpaste um, and essential oils. Um, you just have to do your research and find out what essential oils are good um, to use. But um, like they said, some of them can be toxic, but there are certain ones that you can definitely use for um, cleaning um um, when you're, um, you know, cleaning your house and things like that, if you don't want to use all those chemicals like the bleaches and things like that. So I've been doing that for the longest. And also um, with water, I buy um, high pH water. I do that. I get a fire. I have a um, a BPH um, BPA um, free bottle, water bottle, five um, gallon jug. And I um, actually I just went and got some today. Um, I go and I go refill, uh, uh, refill it at, uh, like, you know, you have stores like, um, Whole Foods, um, and different natural stores that I, um, go and I get my water. I, um, always buy water, um, bottled water. I haven't drank, uh, from a tap in years either. Um, I get, like, bottled water and, um, you know, uh, and I make sure I don't get the water with, uh, the additives because, um, What's the use in buying water if you're going to get additives to the water? That's basically what you're trying to get away from. So just those are just a lot of the things that I've been implementing for, like, a, a long time now. So um, I just wanted to share some of that um, information. And I was just looking on uh, Amazon in regards to the water testing um kids and um I, I see some now i see one of the cheapest ones i see is for 14.97 and um one other thing i um uh shower filters also are good um because um you know although um you know you may not be drinking the water but you still like when you're taking a shower you know you're getting that water from there so um using a shower um filter um, a high pH, um, what do you call it, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, BPA, uh, high pH um, factor or in the filter is um, good uh, for uh, showers and things like that also. And um, soaps also, um, when you're using soaps for your body, um, using all natural plant-based soaps are um, good to use. So just trying to stay away from the phthalates and all those other extra chemicals. It's, um, you know, to the best of your ability, if you can, um, would be best. And um, that's basically all I have to share. Thank you. Much obliged, uh, Draptomania. Uh, let's see. Uh, retired firefighter, I think we missed totally. If you are with us and have thoughts to share uh should be your line should be open as well 
Greetings, Gus. Greetings to everyone. Uh, still uh, appreciate the book. Uh, uh, and it's uh, advice uh, of prevention uh, is very sound, very practical. Um, you know, with the whole idea of how to uh, work towards decontaminating uh, your place of residence, uh, very logical on uh, the ideas that she has. Uh, also, uh, getting on the nerves of the uh, school administrators where your child or children uh, uh, go to work at uh, because they are not, in a lot of cases, they, I, I, I wouldn't say exclusively, there are some people who are dedicated even to that standpoint, and they, some of them may have read this book also, but I would say for the most part, they are not, uh, as some cases, just like uh, the authors stated, is that they will actually attempt to uh, hide whatever... Uh, ill uh, things that goes on in the school when it comes to that uh, because they just don't want to do the paperwork, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, my uh, place of employment uh, was, is, was a classic example of a contaminated atmosphere, uh, fire stations. Uh, from within, it has so many people that... Uh, uh, operate work in that it work in that particular facility, so it's bound to be a uh, uh, workplace of contamination. Uh, nevertheless, on the nature of the job itself, uh, as far as the bunker gear, that's that heavy gear that you see with firefighters put on. It's called bunker gear. Uh, I I I I would spend. Ten days explaining to, explain to everybody about all the different toxins that gets into uh, that equipment from the helmet to uh, the mask and everything else. Uh, it has improved from my understanding uh, since my retirement as far as they would take up your gear and clean it, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's some somewhat of improvement. The, my first inkling of someone challenging uh, the fire service on what the author is talking about had a uh, white male uh, lieutenant who complained about the air condition. Uh, he was getting sick. Uh, they probably thought uh, he was going to sue him. Uh, so anyway, they ripped out uh, the insides of the air conditioning and did find out it was full of fungus and whatnot. Like I said, which is would be common, especially during the eighties, the eighties and the nineties and whatnot. It, it, I mean, they, they weren't they weren't thinking about cleaning that, you know, cleaning that uh, the insides of the air con air condition. And uh, they did it, and uh, it was a whole new air con whole new fire station in terms of air conditioning concern. Uh, so I can go on and on with it as far as what I'm hearing uh, in it. And uh, it definitely is something that should go to uh, 
quote unquote couples as well as individuals. Uh, I would advise uh, that that it gets to people when they're children, uh, when they're very impressionable. <laughs> uh, the older people get, the probably how almost more difficult it is. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, good book. That's it. Much obliged, retired firefighter. I think that's a good point to getting this information to folks that are uh, younger. Uh, you would be surprised. That. Look at Greta Thunberg, suspected race soldier. Not saying you know she is the model or anything, but just saying getting the information to them. Yeah, they can understand. Uh, I mean, yeah, she know climate change environment yeah. is important. Stop putting pollutions uh, there. They can understand. Explain it to them at a young age. That way, they can be mindful about these things early on. That is fantastic because it can be explained in a ma- poison. That's all you have to say. You don't have to say po- uh, environmental pollution and radon. You don't have to right. give up poison. That's all you did. They got it. If they're ten years old, even eight, seven, they got it. Poison. They've seen the skull and crossbone. They probably got it if they've been on the planet long enough to make it to seven, ten, and they are all right. They haven't had too many trips to the emergency room. Po- oh, okay, got it. Don't want that. That's bad. Poison. Got it. This is okay. Very easy. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have comments, suggestions, thoughts, lines should be open. Have you heard? Thomas in New York. Yes, um, I remember going to school and um, talking pre pre third grade, and um, they had these plastic up all through the hallway, and they were sucking the asbestos out the school. And um, the EPA or whoever from New Jersey came in, and they made the school rent a whole bunch of trailers and whole school from the courtyard because they said it wasn't conducive for the students to be in the school, even though we were in there a whole year before they, you know, with just plastic stuff all over on the walls as plastic was supposed to keep it from getting in the air, I guess, but um, asbestos removal. Um, One of the main reasons why I think they have a lot of the trauma besides the gunshot in the black areas is because um, when I worked at the hospital, and I would, my job was operating on uh, overnight. Uh, once a month, um, these um, team of doctors would come in with all these different um, uniforms from different institutions they work with, and all the bodies would be lined up in the uh, operating room, and they would pull them in one by one and take things out of the bodies for whatever institution they work for. And these were dead bodies, I guess, no one claimed or whatever. And um, one thing I noticed that with the black people, they would, um, you know, when you know after they would, you know, finish, and you know, I was a little nosy, so I would look. Uh, they would take out hearts and kidneys and things like that, even brains, all their brains. But with white people, the only thing they would take from them was the skin. That was the only thing they took from white people was the skin. Um, and I asked why, and they said for grafting. And I meet my line thinking. Interesting. Interesting. Much obliged, Thomas, in New York. Be observant even on your job, especially on your jobs. 
Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, uh, thoughts, observations to share, please don't wait till the last moment. If something stood out from a terrible thing to waste, Harriet A. Washington, if you have a hand up, proceed. Speaking about uh, trauma centers, uh, and I believe the author was talking about hospitals uh, in South Florida, that is uh, JMH, Jackson Memorial Hospital, and this trauma center is where anybody will want to go if they get shot. Uh, first of all, because they have enough practice uh, as far as that concerned. Uh, and uh, there is a uh, uh, place of order uh, uh, on where you would be transported at. And, of course, when it comes to trauma, Jackson Moore Hospital's trauma center is, uh, is the number one place uh, down here in Miami-Dade County. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's because uh, the uh, teams that are awaiting for those patients uh, uh, get, get a lot of practice, and they are uh, young and highly skilled at what they do. I've actually uh, seen it put into practice from many years of uh, driving the rescue truck to uh, that location because uh, I heard some other people talking about uh, hospitals or whatnot, it was in areas where non-white people stay. Uh, Jackson Memorial Hospital, the hospital itself is located in the area uh, where the majority of the people that stay in the area are non-white people. Much obliged, uh, retired firefighter. Uh, while folks see if they get their thoughts together, if they have any other Notes that stood out from the text specifically, uh, she had right under air control, uh, the section vermin control. Uh, and she said rodents carry pathogens that may encourage hypertension, which is linked to lowered cognition. I appreciate that she's mentioned that repeatedly as well. That's uh, something else that robs brain functioning, uh, hypertension uh, and not being able to get blood efficiently to your brain computer. Uh, and then the rodents, uh, I think several folks have uh, mentioned that she's talked about that in various ways uh, from the text, including uh, having the black self-respect speak up, get on your landlord manager. Uh, if they are not having, you know, pest control to come in and clean the area, um, the cleaning supplies, I thought she gave great suggestions there as well. Uh, I've been a big proponent of using vinegar. Uh, to get away so that you're not bringing extra toxins into the residence. Uh, vinegar is a great natural cleaner. Uh, it can be used on lots of surfaces. Obviously, since it's edible, uh, you're not bringing toxins uh, into the residence. Uh, I'm just a big, big advocate of um, vinegar uh, over a lot of those other spick and span and a lot of the other uh, noxious elements uh, that you might bring in uh, not to mention, not that I'd want a child to get into vinegar either, but I think that would be much easier to deal with as opposed to them getting into, you know, pine salt or whatever else. Uh, let's see. She mentioned uh, less toxic living, how to reduce your everyday exposure to toxic chemicals, an introduction for families. Uh, we talked about books for uh, 
couples maybe a wedding gift type thing, uh, maybe that's a twofer. Always great to be more mindful because that's again, I just think a lot of victims of racism are not thinking about these types of uh, the, the shoot right on point, right on. But now, when I grew up, uh, I lived on the East Coast. I don't hardly remember anyone, maybe one person. And I would struggle even if you, you know, forced me to name one person where they had a policy in their residence of no shoes. I have been on the uh, West Coast, what they call for. Long time. We've been on the cows. I've been here for the whole uh, time. I lived in California before that. Uh, I won't say it's unanimous, but it's a substantial number of the folks whose residents that I visit, uh, white or non-white, no shoes. And I think that's just a much better policy. She says, consider leaving your shoes at the door and going shoeless inside or trading your shoes for flip flops. When you enter, I have house slippers uh, and ask your guests to do the same, but avoid walking barefoot outside where you can absorb pollutants through your skin and pick up parasites, including hookworms, which have been demonstrated to sap intelligence and are making a resurgence in parts of the United States. The outdoor no shoes thing. Uh, I've never been uh, big on that, but not wearing shoes in the house, uh, just tracking so much uh, dirt and everything else uh, into the house. Being consistent about that is huge. I mean, I think it uh, even just for cleaning purposes, I think it's it's huge because you uh, don't have to do as much uh, vacuuming and stuff, tracking you know everything else from outside, especially if you're in an area like me where it rains a lot and you know all the rest of it, but no shoes in the house, just being mindful of uh, things like that. I think it make a big difference. Uh, let's see other folks that are with us that we've missed. Gus. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Um, Gus, could you repeat the name of the book? Less, that, um, she mentioned? To- Less toxic living, how to reduce your everyday exposure to toxic chemicals, an introduction for families Hold on, you said less toxic living, how to reduce your everyday exposure to toxic chemicals, an introduction for families. And who's it by? Kirsten, K-I-R-S-T-E-N, McCullough, M-C- C U L L O C H. Okay, Kirsten and spelled again. How you spell Kirsten? K I R S T E N. Mhm. McCullen. And C. C U L L L L E N. O C H. Oh, O C H. C M C T U L O C H. Two L's. Oh, okay, I got it. And um, as far as vinegar, I use that also. That's one of the main um, products. I use it also in my laundry. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have. I use yeah. vinegar as a uh, natural fabric softener. I've been doing that for a while. It works great. Uh, it's another same thing. I try to go, you know, real low chemicals. I use a, a laundry detergent that's natural, doesn't have all those goofy chemicals and such. Um, but yeah, you can use vinegar as a natural uh, fabric softener if you want to go low chemicals and that sort of thing. It works great, and it does not smell. If you add it pre, that will it does not leave any trace. Your clothes won't smell all funky or anything like that. You won't even you know that you added it. Um, but other folks uh, who are with us have comments, questions. 
Hello? Uh, Irie, yes, ma'am. Yeah, um, I wanted to add this since um, I forgot about the cleaning stuff. Um, I use Castile soap um, to clean. It's not necessarily the best degreaser all the time, but definitely um, in the tub, um, on surfaces that I, I know I really want to purge of um, any residue, stuff like that. Um, and if it's really bad, like if the situation is really bad, and I think it's Jeremy, I do, um, I turn to either ammonia for deep clean, or if it's like I just need to zap these germs, I'll just use peroxide or alcohol. And then if there are people listening, um, I know y'all know by now, um, I'm a cat lady, but if you all are um, looking for less poisonous things, as far as um, what the cats use the bathroom in, there's a product I, I've been using called Feline Pine, where they make um, little pine cones or, or chip, not chips, they're, they're round, cylindrical, and that goes in the litter box. And as as uh, my cat uses the bathroom, if you know, if he urinates, it puffs up. So you can even use the scoop to, like, get that puffed up stuff out and leave the other chips that are um, uninundated in there and maybe freshen it up a little more. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because uh, the cat litter that clumps has an agent in it that's uh, been known to uh, slowly euthanize the cat's. Um, which is crazy, like, it's really, really, it's so pitiful, and, and um, you know, that's, that's evil. It's just evil. But, yeah, I just wanted to share that. Thanks. Much obliged, much obliged. Uh, let's see, we are closing on the end of the broadcast uh, if you have anything else that you would like to share uh, fanta- again wife we have anybody you shouldn't be a spectator have you tested the water at your residence definitely get a hand up or comment if you uh, have done so if you want to give us the results that would be uh, spectacular as well uh, but test your water that seems like something that's within reach uh, uh-huh. to, get a, to get a test I think Thomas in New York I tested the water, but we did a pH balance test, mm-hmm. not a purity test. Mm-hmm. And um, we did it for a science project for one of my children. And uh, we bought a bunch of different waters. They do the test on YouTube. That's where I copied the whole thing from. Um, and um, we tested all the waters to see which one had the highest pH level to see. Uh, and the faucet water tested higher than Poland Spring. It was quite shocking. Um, from what I understand, and this is what they brag about here in New York, is totally you don't get any bragging about the water in New Jersey, guys. Trust me. <laughs> but in New York, they, they brag that they have the cleanest water in the world. It comes from the aqueducts up in the untapped mountains. But the key is the pipes are these huge lead pipes that run from all the way up the mountain down into the city. Uh, and, and they're so weak that if they ever turn the water off, the pipes would just implode. The only thing keeping them working is the steady flow of the water going through. You know, and if they're saying that one of these pipes ever bust, we'll have the biggest crisis of water, you know, in the history. But we tested the water. And also I did um, some research 
on this Essentia water, and I find that what they do to up the pH balance of regular water is you could just simply add um, the compound that's in baking soda into it, and the pH balance keeps rising, and it has high contents of that biocarbonate in that water, which is giving it the high pH balance. It's not a natural pH. Interesting. Interesting. So lots to research. Lots. To, and it seems like, you know, that should be water is important, right? Everybody wants good water. Even and I've noted that some people who don't like to drink a lot of water, they do those sodas and, you know, all the beverages that require. Now we got to put fluoride in, fluoride in the water to protect your teeth and all that. But I myself i think sometimes people don't like drinking the water because it tastes bad i mean if i was in flint i probably wouldn't want to drink water either let me go get you know a root beer or coca-cola something i mean yeah if you've got all these poisons and everything else i probably wouldn't want to drink a whole lot of water either so that's probably something to consider for many folks uh, who break that excuse out that they're not fans of water we probably don't know what regular natural untainted water many of us have not had that system of white supremacy uh anything else folks need to make sure they get in <clears throat> henry in chicago uh yeah i haven't uh tested the water but uh i'm just assuming that uh that the tap water is unsafe so um i just generally use the water for washing um uh, and also too with vinegar uh what was interesting is remember a couple of years ago, uh, I used to use uh, Roundup, the weed killer. Uh, and, you know, I found out that, you know, Roundup was, you know, causing cancer uh, to a lot of people who were using it. Uh, so uh, there was a, uh, somebody suggested to me that vinegar was also uh, a, a good weed killer as well. And it's, and it's not cancerous neither. So uh, that's something that, you know, I'd suggest as well. Uh, if you, you know, if you do yard work and you want to get those weeds that, you know, you don't feel like, you know, grabbing or anything like that, just, you know, use vinegar and they should, you know, kill weeds as well. Excellent suggestion. Vinegar is amazing. Like it's great for like just a litany uh, of things. It's uh, speaking of no toxins. If you have an ant problem, you can use vinegar, natural repellent. Uh, it is amazing. You used to wash your clothes. You used to clean. It is amazing. Kill weeds. I hadn't even heard that before. Vinegar is amazing. Uh, way better than a lot of the toxic things that you can buy in your score. Cost effective. And it works. The praises so of I meant to tell you, guys, the water that I found tested the best, um, um, minus those um, Essentia and 365, all those, uh, what they call that, um, they got a funny name for the water uh, with the high 9.5 pH. The water that tasted the best was actually a cheap water, that Alpine water comes in a square-shaped um, container with the handles, like a piece of plastic um, with paper, Alpine water. That water test- tested the best um, for the pH, mm. and um, it supposedly comes from melted snow somewhere but that water tested very good so that's what i've been buying ever since i did the test and another thing i tested with my my children was the um it says iron fortified cereal and we got a magnet 
and you could move the cereal pieces around and we graded it up and we were able to take the magnet and extract little pieces of metal from the cereal. Um, and we tested a whole bunch of them. It was in all of the cereals that say Iron Fortify, just more fine in the catalog and post, you know, more the name brand. And the cheaper ones, it was big pieces of metal. Hmm. Hmm. Do I love you said you did that with the children too, so that's spectacular. We were just talking about that, right? Study Science Project. Science Best thing ever. Science project with the children, and then you can tie racism, white supremacy right into that. Bravo. Bravo. Do it with your children. Test the water with your children. That's they probably love that. They can and then they can do extra credit. They can take that to school, probably whatever grade that they're in, they can take that to school and write up a little report. Whammo! Extra credit. You got that right in the middle of the school year. Test the water with your children. They said uh, she'd be inexpensive. I think uh, uh, Draftomania. She just said she checked on Amazon uh, wherever it was, and it was it was less than fifteen dollars that you could get a kid. You could probably go to uh, some of the local stores or what have you and see if they got anything in the realm. You could check your water and let us. I'm gonna do that myself. Check your water. Oh yeah, I got the kit, Gus. That was a three-in-one kit. It had um, strips. So you put the strip in the water and the strip turns the color. It had a liquid that you put a couple drops in the water and then you wait for the water to turn a color. And it had an actual thing that you put in the water, like a little thermometer thing that would read what's the pH level. So it was a three-in-one, and I think I paid $8, but this was like a few years ago. But it was a three-in-one kit. I think I still have it. $8. $8. Get your $8 kit, $10, $12, whatever it is. Get your kit, test your water, uh, test it. If you have offspring, test them with your children. Maybe that can be a project too with the 200 questions. Have you done, have you ever tested the water at any of the residences where you've lived? That can be one of the 200 questions because that's important. We can test our water. We can do a little science experiment together. That's important for, you know, counter racist couples as well. Do a science experiment together, test your water. Wow, we need to get much better. And then when you get the filters, test it again. See if they work. She talked about that, too. Be scientists, uh, racist man. If anything, uh, we should have got from this week's section, racist man, racist woman. They are scientific in their application of white supremacy, racism, systemic and global. They are scientific. We need to become counter racist scientists. Think of Dr. Welsing think of Dr. Well and Harriet A. Washington two times medical apartheid and a terrible thing to waste uh, unless we missed anybody we'll be here next Friday or yes next Thursday sorry next Thursday same time 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific uh, again just kind of looking down the road franchise uh, all about McDonald's very much related to some of what we talked about this evening uh, if you want to check, it's written by a black author, so you know reading is more important than watching television. If you want to check it out, and it's a newer book, so you'll be uh, current, as they say, with the new literature fresh off the presses. Uh, but she'll be stopping by later in the month. Uh, we'll revisit some of these very themes in her book franchise. More recently, uh, more immediately, we'll be here tomorrow for workplace racism. The segment about Mr. Motley at the beginning, that could have been workplace racism. Uh, Talking about them calling him a traitor for reporting on this toxic plant in Pennsylvania that's spewing out all these chemicals that he doesn't think should be reopened. And he's talking about it and they're calling him names (laughs) and work and stuff. 
Workplace Racism, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, Friday, tomorrow evening, afternoon. Uh, we'll share suggestions, uh, strategies for neutralizing that sort of terrorist behavior. Much obliged to everyone who uh, hung in with us uh, this evening. I hope you got constructive information. Share it with your offspring and folks that you care about. Uh, ways that you can keep yourself safe uh, and try to minimize some of the poisons that saturate our racist environment. With that, hey, one of them, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Noxious alcohol. She says it in the book, cigarettes, no smoking. In addition to being sober, let's be buckled up every time we are in a vehicle. In addition to being sober, buckled up. If you're driving, you are not on the cell phone uh, at all. Uh, just trying to do the little things to minimize contact with the Daniel Holtz Claws, the Amber Geigers of the known universe. With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.